Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, we'll now convene the Tuesday, September 3, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council. Roll call, Mr. Pearson. Councilor Herman? Here. Councilor Brownson? Here. Councilor West? Here. Councilor Walker? Here. Mayor Jones? Here. Reports of Councilors. Uh, Councilor Rock? I must be enjoying the summer because I have nothing to report. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Councilor West. Um, I also have very little to report. Um, I think that many of us, I think all of us maybe, enjoyed the ribbon cutting that was downtown um, at Pier 11, and that was really exciting. I thought um, there was just a lot of good discussion there, and congratulations all around for having finished a huge project. Um, the only other thing that I'll mention is that I have my meet and greet coming up, another one pretty quickly, uh, a little sooner than I would have liked, but I tried to schedule it when there wasn't other meetings happening, but it is, it ended up being the same evening as the DRC meeting, but it is this Thursday, 4.30 p.m. Um, at Alderbrook Hall, which is at 40, 45th and Lake Erickson in the Red Building, so anybody that would like to come, please come. Early enough to go to the DRC meeting if you want. That's all I have. Thank you, Councilor Herman. Yes, I'll make up for you guys. I uh, had a meet the council event at the library last Wednesday and met with a small but very animated group of constituents. I was able to meet with library director Jimmy Pearson about a week ago just to learn more about the library and discuss its future. I met with police officer Kenny Hanson to discuss his work that he does with individuals who are homeless in our community. I also attended the much anticipated ribbon cutting. It was great to see such a good crowd there. And I was especially gratified to see the crowds on the deck of Astoria Brewing Company because I know the construction, although absolutely necessary, did affect our local businesses down there. So glad to see that the crowds are back. And I was honored finally to attend the badge pinning ceremony for three Astoria firefighters. Um, the first one, he's a new permanent hire, but not new to the fire department, a young man by the name of, of Gage Puget. Hope I got his name pronounced correctly. Um, also newly promoted to engineer, Zach Plant, and newly promoted to lieutenant, Tom Jaworski. I was really honored to be there, as I mentioned, and I wish for them long and safe careers with the department. Thank you. Councilor Brownson, on the phone. Yeah, I don't have too much to report either. Uh, I was uh, uh, really happy to see the bridge opening take place and um, also had the opportunity to join uh, Councilor Herman to the uh, fire department for the promotions and uh, badge paying. And uh, so that, that I will. Thank you. And all I'll add that my colleagues haven't already mentioned is uh, that we'll have a few changes to the September schedule. The next city council meeting, rather than uh, being on the 16th, will be on the 30th. We have five, uh, five Mondays this month, and we're going to have our last meeting uh, on the 30th rather than two weeks from now. And additionally, the work session that's typically on the second Thursday of the month, uh, the 12th this month, will be on the 10th, I believe that's from 9 to 11, 
and there'll be a public notice going out as a reminder. It'll be on the city's uh, website as well. But if you show up on the 16th, that's why it, uh, we won't be here. Uh, a quick note, uh, we had a, some constituent interest in uh, the Parks and Rec Department, Aquatic Center participating in the, uh, the Silver Sneakers program, which they do participate in, and expanding that to the Silver and Fit program. In a nutshell, the Silver Sneakers program, if you're on certain medical care, you uh, come to the Aquatic Center, the normal senior rate is 550 per entry, and the Silver Sneakers program pays $3.25, and the city pays the differential $2.25. Uh, we do not currently have an arrangement. We have a contract with that organization. We don't have a, a contract with the organization under MOTA, which does silver and fit. So Mr. Williams is looking into the, uh, the impact of participating in that program and whether or not it's feasible for us to do so. So you can look forward to hearing more about that at a, at a future meeting. And um, yeah, that's all I have. So uh, changes to the agenda, are there any? Uh, no changes. The consent calendar. Items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests an item considered separately. Members of the community may also have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. on the day of the meeting. So have any items been requested to be removed by the public? There have been no citizen requests. How about council requests? Any council requests to have an item removed? No. All right, then I would entertain a motion uh, to approve the consent calendar. I move to approve the consent calendar as presented. I'll second that. Roll call, Ms. Brooks. Councilor Herman. Yes. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor West. Aye. Councilor Rocha. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Regular agenda items. All agenda items are open for public comment, except for item uh, 6D, following deliberation by the City Council. And if anyone has, uh, would like to comment on a particular topic, uh, just raise your hand and you'll be able to come to the podium, state your name and address, and be given three minutes. Item 6A is the Mill Pond Sale Consideration of Public Hearing. In November of 2018, the council authorized staff to contract with a real estate firm to market the pure lots which the city owns in the Mill Pond neighborhood. Um, Mr. Pearson, if you would uh, go to the next slide. Uh, this exhibit shows the location of the mill pond lots, which are the, uh, the aggregation of lots on the south side of the mill pond, uh, which are, I'm going to say, the, on, in this direction, the, the bottom side of the, uh, the mill pond that's shown on this image on the uh, monitors. So these lots have been listed through the local real estate firm area properties for $45,000 each for uh, each pier or $90,000 total. Some individual homeowners, especially those situated just south of the pier lots, expressed interest in an earlier city council meeting in purchasing the lots um, by soliciting donations in order to preserve their views. The, the request was a donation uh, with the concept that these lots would be deplatted and added to the park's inventory while remaining in city ownership. So uh, the uh, city council had provided direction uh, to staff to move forward with this, but then more recently, a potential buyer has provided an offer in the amount of $35,000 for these lots. 
The potential buyer, John Dulcich, is intending to develop all or a portion of the pier lots. If the council is interested in considering the offer from Mr. Dulcich, a public hearing must be held in accordance with city code. This is following the, the city's code uh, dealing uh, with situations wherever there is a, a request to uh, purchase a city property. There are other materials that were included in the council packet which are outlined in the city code which are to be brought forward to you at a meeting such as this. This first meeting is uh, bringing the uh, proposal to the city council and the action item tonight is determining whether the city council uh, wishes uh, to consider scheduling a public hearing to consider this request. Uh, what would be proposed if the council is wishing to uh, schedule a public hearing, that that be set for 7 p.m. on September 30th, 2019. As the mayor had noted, that is going to be our next regularly scheduled city council meeting. So um, I would uh, be glad to answer any questions or else our public works director, Jeff Harrington, um, or our, uh, our planner who has been working on this project, Mike Morgan, are here to answer any specific questions regarding the process at this point. And I'll, I'll confess to having not read the fine print, and uh, you pointed out to me this morning when we spoke about the agenda that we're just deciding whether or not to have a hearing at a future date. That's right. Until, until this morning, I thought we were actually going to decide whether to have a hearing tonight or not. So there may be some people who came tonight prepared to speak about it, thinking that tonight would be a public hearing, but in fact, it will have four weeks to uh, prepare to, to the third yeah, it's, it's really a two-step, as outlined in the city code, it's a two-step process. First, um, the request for purchase is brought to the council, and then at that first meeting, you get to decide whether or not you wish to consider it further at a public hearing. Yeah. So I was part of the city council last year, which voted to put the properties up for sale, uh, believing that that was the right thing to do, given that they were always intended for residential development, and we needed to stop paying these homeowners association fees. Um, and then I was one of, I believe, at least two other counselors who, uh, uh, had, when we discussed this uh, most recently, reluctantly said, all right, let's, let's go ahead and decommission them because we're not going to get an offer, and now we have an offer. Uh, so you know, my input would be to go ahead and, and have a public hearing at, a, at the next meeting. I, I agree with that. Just uh, I do have one question, if I may. Uh, Mr. Dulcich proposes to develop these properties. Would he be under basically the same development constraints as the rest of the Pond Village? Um, any development which would happen um, on those properties would uh, need to follow the city's development code. Um, it's uh, you know it's to uh, separate uh, standards. There are CCNRs uh, which are separate from. The city's development code restrictions, which the city does not uh, enforce. But, but yes, any development on those properties would would need to comply with the city's development code. I support scheduling the public hearing. As do I. As do I. So um, we, are, we are not going to open a public hearing tonight, but as in any agenda item uh, except 6D tonight, there is public comment. So if people want to have public comment, that's not a public hearing. Right. Okay. Um. And I, I, would, I would note just that we will 
there is a majority of the counselors who have, are choosing to have a public hearing on the 30th. Correct. At which point people will, there'll be a presentation and people opposed, neutral, and in favor will speak. So if you want to make a statement tonight, you can, but we've already, the, the public hearing will be on the 30th. Right, and um, I'm speaking because my name is Cheryl Story at 2605 Mill Pond, and John Ryan and I were instrumental in trying in trying to help the city get out from under the fees, and we're the ones that voluntarily submitted the donations, and we thought we were moving forward, and of course this came through at the 11th hour, and we are now trying to figure out um, if the city would consider. Um, another offer from Mill Pond if we could um, see about our donation level. Um, because we were, we were just, you know, trying to get the city to, um, you know, it, it just didn't seem correct to have the city pay in this for no good reason. And we were just trying to help you guys get out from under the um, annual fees um, and save money going forward if there were no, not going to be any offers. But we also just want to protect things too. So the question is, is, would the city be interested in entertaining another offer from Mill Pond related to donations? And it, I'm not offering tonight. I'm just asking. If any other party were to come before the public hearing on the 30th with an offer to purchase the property, would that require a separate hearing, or would they be combined into one hearing? So I want to make sure I'm speaking correctly, so I'm looking to the city attorney. The purpose of the public hearing, correct, Mr. Hennigsgaard, is that individuals can come in and, and be able to speak to this exact issue. Is that, is that correct? That's pretty much correct. Until we have a signed agreement, anybody can make an offer to purchase the property. It's up for sale. And, and to just clarify, the, the previous offer, which had been made by some of the individuals, not the homeowners association as a formal entity, but individuals, was to make a donation in exchange for decommissioning the lots. In which case, they would be non-tax generate. Would they generate property tax? No, they would not. Right. They wouldn't if they were if they were becoming a you know part of a a, a park. Then no. So so far we've had and. The, the offer which was previously on the table by those individuals has not been removed. That's still in effect as a standing offer, right? That is an offer before the city council, right. correct? So there's an offer before the city council to decommission the lots in exchange for a donation. And there's a separate offer on the table to purchase the lots, uh, in which case they would remain on the tax rolls and potentially the That's correct. And if any other entity would forward out between now and the 30th wishes to submit an additional offer, they could do that. That's correct. Okay. Thank you. that we now occupy as of two weeks. 
And one of the our realtor was very upfront about the um, peers that would have, that were a potential development in the future. And as we thought about this property, that certainly weighed very heavily on our minds. Gee, do we want to do this with the possibility in the future and so on? And as I say, this was at the end of June. And then on July 2nd, um, I read in the Astoria newspaper that the city council directed the city manager to work with the neighbors um, for decommissioning the lots. So that was kind of like, oh my goodness, hallelujah. Um, our, you know, that issue has been removed. And uh, so by July 5th, we had a, uh, a purchase agreement with the sellers. And as I say, we just moved in. Um, so I'm not here to say I feel like I've been misled at all. I feel like I've been led. And what I feel like I've been led to is the possibility of working with the city in good faith on this process, at least developing and looking at the process and the potential of decommissioning. And so what I would like to suggest is that that work is done so that at the public hearing, you have both pieces of information. You not only have the offer that you have from a private developer, but then you also have an understanding of what the process is and all of the components that would go into and all of the benefits, perhaps, of the decommissioning. And I know staff is probably overburdened with all kinds of things now, but I would like to suggest that that exploration be completed prior to your public hearing so that you have all of the information before you. Thank you. displaced species are as follows. There are blue heron, 
a big blue heron. I call him Safu. His mom and dad raised him around the pond and then left it for him to watch over. I see him chase butterflies like they were little fish in the air. He's a year-round resident. Three little mink, I call him ticky-tacky and toes, tiny and so playful, live on the banks of the pond by the inlet. The family grew from two to three this year. They're a year-round residents. A family of deer, of course they're all around here. I call them cherry pickers because every time they, uh, my cherry trees sprout, new leaves, they clean them off nicely for me. I've seen them using the crosswalk on Highway 30 at night on one of their visits, year-round residents. Four river otter. Even though this year they ate most of the duck eggs, the banks of the, on the banks of the pond, that's life, but they're welcome there. Several duck species have reproduced here. They come back every year as they migrate, November to June, some species year-round. Canada geese are migratory and reside there mid-June through October. Turn and Cormorant are year-round, and there is a big beaver that visits quite often. We as male ponders have learned to enjoy, honor, and coexist with the wildlife here. Their fate is in your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other movies? Good evening. I'm Paul Haynes. I live at 2505 um, Mill Pond. And one, I think it's important to um, support what my uh, brilliant wife played before you in terms of having uh, uh, everything you can consider for these lots. Uh, part of what I would like to enthusiastically ask you to do is to um, uh, work with the neighborhood first in terms of flushing out what the possibilities are so you can compare it to cash offers that may come in from uh, uh, other proposers. Right now it feels like it is quite activated that there is interest in, and um, uh, as of this summer there certainly has been some um, uh, interest brought to you that we want to talk to you about how we can make this a workout and uh, not only work with the neighborhood but also provide the city what it needs in exchange for those lots so that uh, the citizens as a, whole are, uh, as a whole are whole when uh, uh, the conclusion is reached. I do think having a comparables is going to be really helpful because the established market probably is pretty fuzzy about building condominiums over the top of a, a pond. And uh, uh, anyway, I would like to, to ask that the hearing uh, be scheduled, but something further out than September 30th so that give me a chance to work with your staff on um, what the neighborhood can bring to the table and uh, end up with a, perhaps a, a winning solution to, that, to, to those lots. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Arlie Jensen and I too live at Mill Pond, 2455 Mill Pond Lane. Um, I'm a lifelong resident of this area. While we have re most recently moved into Mill Pond, we've owned property there for the last 12 years. The pond in itself is an icon of Astoria. We are fortunate enough to live on it. We're fortunate enough to enjoy it daily, but we're not the only people that enjoy that pond. I live across the street. I watch the city walk by it every single day. The city has been so skilled 
in managing and ensuring that the remaining vistas of the river have remained open and you consistently, you have stood by the community in terms of minimizing growth where it's going to impact the community's ability to see the river. In my mind, that mill pond, having been a child here when it was a mill, is an icon of the city. I watch week after week where wedding parties and prom parties, and most recently, the entire regatta court was photographed on that little park and was the cover page of your Scandinavian festival and regatta, and regatta piece. In my mind, the most important thing that all of us can do is protect that for all of us, not the five or 10 or 20 of us that, that face it every day, but for the entire city of Astoria. By, by a wonderful happenstance, the city has gained control of those lots. Were these still in the hands of the developer, this conversation wouldn't even be happening. The conversation would be, it would simply be a sale to a developer to develop 12 condominiums in that small pond. Because the city has control of that, I think it behooves all of us to figure out a way to maintain that really extraordinary vista in Astoria permanently, not as a temporary solution, but rather as a long-term solution, not just for Mill Pond, but for the city itself. Any other comments? Well, I think these types of comments are exactly the things we were to discuss at the public hearing, which is why I would move that we schedule a public hearing on this matter for the 30th of September. All in favor? Aye. Ayes. Any opposed? Uh, item 6B is American Cruise Lines lease. So the city of Astoria owns the 17th Street dock located at the foot of 17th Street adjacent to the Columbia River Maritime Museum. The original timber structure was replaced with a concrete dock on steel piles in 2013. In addition to a lease with the U.S. Coast Guard, the city currently rents board space at $2 a foot of vessel length to multiple riverboat users on an at-will basis. Currently, the city has debt service on the dock with the State of Oregon Infrastructure Finance Authority for our match with the Oregon Department of Transportation grant which provided funding for the dock in 2013. The city has received a request from American Cruise Lines to lease the riverboat moorage located at the east end of the 17th Street dock and as noted on the exhibit on the monitor. Um, there are provisions included in the staff report um, which provides kind of an outline of the proposal before the city council tonight. Um, tonight it's going to be recommended that city council consider the lease with American Cruise Lines for the East Moorage of the 17th Street dock. Um, Mayor, I don't know if you would like, um, there was an individual who was wanting to be able to, to participate uh, in this uh, conversation. Um, do you want me to go ahead and dial them in at, at this point? Because I know that yeah, I would our, say let's let go ahead and dial them in. Okay. And that's that is the a representative of the American Queen Steamship Company, which is a competitor to American Cruise Lines, and which learned about this matter today and is objecting to uh, to our making a decision on it tonight. So I we've offered them the opportunity to participate by phone. That's great. And so I want to do that. And I'm, after we get. Um, Mr. Eric Finley on the phone. I know that our public works director, Jeff Harrington, uh, is prepared to make some remarks upon 
uh, some written uh, comments with which Mr. Denley has provided to the council tonight.
So um, currently we, we and maybe let me, actually let me back up a little bit. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll just say there, there's kind of two issues here. The, the one issue is just the larger issue as, as a concept. Do we want to shift from the way we currently manage these river cruise boats, which is for the benefit of the public who doesn't know, we, as the river cruise industry has grown in the last several years, um, because the city owns the 17th Street Pier uh, and controls its usage, Mr. Harrington has had to have a staff member essentially become a travel service for the river cruise boats, uh, taking calls uh, to make reservations, building um, disputes between different companies that are vying for the same prime dates, and it's rather a, a significant uh, consumer of time, staff time and effort, to do something that's not a core missionary, which is essentially be a travel agency for managing the, the pier. So, um, one company uh, came to, uh, to the city recently with a proposal, which you can now outline in a little more detail. Uh, and so our, our decisions tonight would be regarding the issues of do we want to have someone manage, have a private company manage uh, the lease, rather than having our staff manage each reservation. And then specifically, do we want to accept the lease that's been proposed to us or allow uh, other Companies to make them separate offers. Yep. We will sum up the choices. Okay. So, so another another piece of this is that the, the dock is primarily there for the purpose of the, of the Coast Guard and the lease to the Coast Guard. So, on the east end of the dock is, is a facility that the river um, river boats use, and that facility is, is rather old. The um, condition of the facility is in pretty poor shape. We do repairs periodically. Um, the, the proposal that was presented to us uh, came with um, a, re a request to make improvements out there to not just um, accommodate um, uh, the company, the American Cruise Lines, but other vessels too. Um, it, very likely in the situation we're in right now where we have a debt service on the dock, we're not, not really in a, a position to take out additional debt service. We're trying to secure a revenue source and, and get that debt paid off, not take out more debt, which is what we'd have to do to make improvements ourselves. So it just seemed to make a lot of sense. This is a, this is a great place for our private sector to step in and take the risk uh, instead of the uh, residents of Astoria and to make the investments for, for their own benefit and the benefit of the other users. Um, the comment about um, the monopoly and um, American Cruise Lines uh, being able to, to dominate or, or set their own schedules and stuff. Um, I, I would imagine that the, the company that's paying the lease, that's building these uh, improvements, would need to um, um, accommodate probably themselves first. Um, but they've expressed interest and be written in the lease um, that they would also accommodate other, other schedules and other vessels. Um, in addition to that, we know that there's there's also facilities for it's not. No, nobody's going to get bumped out. It's bumped out. It's the spot that's being scheduled. There's also other places to um, do more of those vessels. Um, other than that, we're just looking for, um, based on a previous council goal, we're looking for ways to get make things more efficient for staff. Um, right now, we're managing uh, infrastructure. We're managing sewer, roads, streets, storm systems, sanitation system, a watershed, uh, a, a railroad. 
and, and a riverboat company run a reservation operation. And it just seems to be the one thing that made a lot of sense to get off our plate, put it in the responsible hands of a developer, private sector that can improve it and develop it into uh, potentially something better than what it is today. If we had um, a catastrophic, you know, failure of, of the dolphins that are out there now, we, we would basically have to put a closed, set, you know, closed for business sign on it until we came up with a way to generate, you know, enough revenue. And, we, and typically we would, on a facility of ours, we would have to take out more debt service. And that just seemed, didn't seem to be practical or a risk that I think that the uh, Astoria citizens should take. So it seemed like a solution that fit very well to what is currently happening. Any other questions? Uh, I do, do have two representatives from American Cruise Lines, uh, Charlie Robertson and Alan Laster, that both represent the company that would be happy to answer any questions on what they plan So, I guess my initial comment is conceptually, I, I love the idea of a, a private company coming in, making improvements to the dolphins, and managing the process, the concept. I do have a couple questions. One would be, uh, so Mr. Henningsgaard, just legally, why would this not be considered going to a sole source contract? Why would not we not required to compete? compete? If, I mean, if, there, if we are considering contracting for a service, is there a dollar threshold that hasn't been met? Or why are we not required to put it out for bid? As when you're dealing with your own property, you're dealing with generally called a proprietary function. Uh, there are no requirements that you go through a bid process. Um, the requirements you have, for example, for sale of property, those are uh, requirements that the city adopts itself. You don't have a formal process for leases. Uh, this is, of course. Um, and so it's your decision as the managers of the city's property, how you want to handle it. Okay. So since we have representatives of ACL in attendance and we have representatives of AQSC, a competitor company, uh, who are protesting this being on the agenda tonight, if I let both of them speak, I'll, uh, I'll offer first to Mr. Uh, Denley. Is he on the line or do you call off? No, I'm, I'm on the line. Can you hear me, sir? I, I can. But we did lose a seat. I'm still going to need about Yes, I'm on There, one point clarification. Yeah, would you like to make a statement at this time? 
Um, yes, I would. Thank you. Uh, again, I just reiterate my thanks to both the mayor and the council for the opportunity to um, provide uh, written comments earlier today and now to, to join you um, via via telephone. Um, I, I hope you can hear me. And uh, I, you know, I do wish we had the opportunity to uh, to be there um, uh, in, in person to, to meet with you. But we were just made aware of uh, of this proposal uh, going to the council um, this morning. Um, you know, our objections, we've, we've outlined them in, uh, or in really, really what they're concerned. Um, uh, that really what, what the proposed leak uh, is, um, is, is essentially um, a, you know, creating a monopoly, a 32-year monopoly, monopoly um, with one uh, party, uh, the interesting party of that, um, that would be able to utilize for the terms of the closed lease, utilize the, the public facility um, for their own commercial uh, development of the benefit uh, to the exclusion of other competitors. And, um, you know, we would really just ask for a piece of table and discuss and discuss what we did with uh, if the city has concerns, the city has concerns about the um, cruise industry, um, you know, we would like to have a piece of table and an opportunity to provide um, creative and thoughtful proposals and resolutions to help um, if there's a burden on the city um, we, we certainly want to help um, you know ease that burden um, and if there's uh, issues with uh, peer usage again we would, we would like to be at least a, a party to and be part of the discussion for, for solving this um, you know i've outlined a number of concerns with uh, the black and white terms on the lease um, they're mostly contained in section 4.2 uh, or 4.1 of the proposed lease um, I did mention the, the lease term. Um, it, it's an extended period of time. Um, it's for 32 years. Um, and then it, it's fully exclusive and it provides um, quite, a, quite a bit of discretion um, to uh, the leaseholder to exclude competitors, uh, to set pricing, to, um, to really operate that terminal and to operate that facility uh, for their sole their sole benefit um, for their discretion uh, without really any input from the city or the public or really any competitors. And, um, and as I've indicated, um, we, we recognize and certainly appreciate that there's uh, competition within the uh, Indian River Cruise State. Um, I would just you know, advise the city that there really are two um, main competitors um, that, that operate year, year round um, on the river. With uh, American Cruise Lines, which uh, there is representation there, and American Cruise Steamboat Company. Um, this frankly seems like uh, the city picking one company over the over the other um, without really an opportunity to um, be a part of the, the process. Um, I'm not really sure how we were made aware of today's hearing, uh, but um, I'm, I'm certainly thankful that we were. Um, we've been, you know, we're in we're in Peoria uh, every week. And um, there certainly would have been ample opportunity for someone to reach out to us and, and engage in a dialogue with us. And, and that's really what we're asking. Um, we would we would ask the city council to reject it um, on its face um, and instead issue an RFP um, that could be bid on for transparency. Um, the city could receive competitive bids, and there could be an opportunity for um, the public to decide, you know, really how their assets are. Are utilized for the next 32 years. Um, and the alternative, we would at a minimum ask that the city 
um, not vote on this and um, take the opportunity for additional due diligence and engagement with, uh, with interested parties. Um, I imagine this is more than just um, American cruise lines and American food steamboat companies. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. So I would offer the opportunity for an ACL representative to let us know. Good evening. I'm Charlie Robertson. I'm Vice President of American Cruise Lines. Uh, American Cruise Lines is also in my family's business. We operate uh, three of the river boats on the river and represent about two-thirds of the total dockings uh, at the facility that we've now proposed to lease. We're also building additional ships uh, for the river right now. And that's really why uh, we proposed this lease is that with those additional ships and the capacity we'd like to bring, uh, we see the need for additional port infrastructure and would like to work with the town to improve the, the facility that's there. And we saw that if we're going to be making a large capital investment in it, we thought uh, that we need some, some significant time period to uh, recover that investment. Uh, we also heard the city's desire um, not to exclude any one competitor, and that's why we've built into the lease that um, when our boats are not scheduled for docking, any other vessel can schedule to use it. Uh, we love partnering with Astoria and work with many different people in the community to provide tours and different explorations of town. We visit about three times a week right now, and we expect that to continue uh, to continue to grow over the next few years. Uh, we think that, that the river can have a lot more boats on it and, uh, and would like Astoria to be a big part of that, that growth with us. And I'm joined by Alan Laster tonight also. Um, who can speak to more of the technical details of the lease. I'll just, uh, there, I'll just point out real quick, uh, parcel one and parcel two. Parcel one is the existing area that's used, and parcel two would be an area for proposed expansion. Specifically, some. Hey, just, I'm sorry. Name my name is Alan Laster, and I'm the attorney for uh, American Cruise Lines. Okay. Uh, Mr. Denley is, is, I think, being a little disingenuous in how he's characterizing the terms of a lease. He refers to it as a 32-year monopoly, which it's not. Um, we're not excluding other steamship companies expressly, provided that, as uh, Mr. Robertson said, that when when American Cruise Lines is not scheduled to be at the dock, other cruise lines will be accommodated and will be, will have time at the dock. Uh, it's a, um, uh, he also referred to this as being um, anti-competitive and that it's for the sole benefit of American Cruise Lines, which it's clearly not. Um, American Cruise Lines is undertaking a big investment here uh, and needs the time to recoup that investment, but it is still accommodating other users and it's, the cruise line's goal is to partner with the city, as Mr. Roberts has said, to achieve uh, growth of tourism and uh, an economic benefit to the city, as well as, you know, obviously they're a business and they, you know, this is what they do and they're going to make, um, make money doing it. But so is American Queen Steamboat Company and any other operator. Um, so that's, I, I think we need to look at uh, 
what the lease actually says and how it actually provides for this to be managed rather than mischaracterizing the terms. Thank you. Any other uh, public comment? Mr. Henningstra, I will say something. Yes, this, this lease isn't just a, a product of one side. Uh, we've negotiated it for probably at least a month and a half. And some of the goals that the city had, one was to allocate risk. Um, the tenant, in this case, is accepting the risk of the dock maintenance and the responsibility for improving and enlarging the dock. It's also taking the economic risk of a possible potential downturn in the cruise line industry. Anybody who's been here for a while knows that cruise line is pretty dependent upon the economy and the city um, coffers uh, will suffer if, if there isn't a guaranteed income. And in this case, the lease provides the city with a guarantee of a, at least a minimum amount of income uh, from that lease. The uh, amount of income is estimated to approximate what the city receives right now to pay the high of the market. So um, one of the big concerns, obviously, in negotiating this lease was to accommodate other operators. The lease requires uh, that the tenant uh, accommodate other operators and also requires that that accommodation be done in good faith. So. Uh, the city does have the ability to monitor uh, the usage of the stock. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I, I personally think it's, it's fair to all concerned, it's a good deal for the city. This is uh, Eric Denley with um, American Queen again. Um, we're able to hear the mayor, the city councilman, and the representatives from the ACL really well, but I'm um, having a hard time hearing some of the public comments. Thank you. Yeah, there, there haven't actually been any other members of the public speak. The last speaker was our city attorney. I, I mean, I'm gathering you weren't able to hear him. He spoke just for the last minute. Yeah, I, I was not able to hear um, anything he said this time or actually the first time that he spoke. Yeah. Are you looking for council comment at this point, Bruce, or are we then? I, I, was, I was just about to. Yeah. So maybe I'll ask. Maybe I'll ask Mr. Henningsgaard to reiterate his, his key points that he just made. And maybe have you come up to the microphone up here so that the, the folks on the phone can hear you. Thank you. Okay, well, I can recall uh, the points that I was attempting to make were first that uh, this was a negotiated lease. It wasn't a one-sided deal. And the city's goals included uh, the guarantee of an income, a steady stream of income over a period of time not one that would fluctuate with, with the market. The city was also concerned with allocating the risk, the risk of maintaining the dock, and the responsibility to improve the dock. Those are all built in the lease and the requirement of the tenant. And finally, the, the city was cognizant of the issue of other people using the dock. The city's goal actually is to maximize uh, the, the, re, the number of tourists that come in here uh, as each boat uh, docks here and the tariffs come in, I think that's a benefit to the city, and that was part of the negotiation. The lease requires that um, the tenant does, uh, does accommodate other users and does that accommodation in good faith. So the city does have some control over that aspect of it, and that was an important part of, uh, of the lease, lease negotiations. 
Thank, thank you, Mr. Hanningsgard. And I'll just, I'll ask Mr. Denley if he'd like to say anything in response to that before we open to council deliberations. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Mayor and council, and uh, I appreciate uh, you repeating what you said. Um, uh, I certainly do appreciate uh, your comments. Um, I certainly do understand the equities of the, um, of the city. Um, my, my uh, RF is that it not be a unilateral discussion. Um, there aren't just two parties that are interested in, uh, in that facility. Um, there are a number of parties uh, that are interested in that facility. And so, um, you know, again, my suggestion is that it be an open and transparent um, process and, and that there be an opportunity for um, a variety of interests to be uh, expressed uh, to meet uh, the city's stated goals. Um, for example, we as a company would be more than um, willing to help participate uh, with the city uh, to, meet, to meet their goals. Um, I'm sure that Mr. Robertson and folks from ACL would, would agree. Um, you know, we uh, desire a safe, secure, and reliable uh, docking location for our passengers uh, that we bring into your, into your community. And so um, I think our interests are aligned. Um, I, I, I object to, to this remedy um, and, and this leak and, frankly, this process. Um, we have been a known uh, participant in the river cruise industry in the Minnesota since 2012, and I find it, frankly, a little bit alarming that we weren't even given an invitation or an opportunity to participate or talk to anybody um, from the city uh, when, this, when this issue was raised. Um, you know, again, um, we simply desire our vote at the table. Um, and while I do believe that the city has the intent that the uh, leaseholder would operate in good faith. Um, I would simply ask the city council to review section 4.1. Um, the leaseholder has basically, un, you know, there's really no check, there's no uh, limitation on uh, the leaseholder's uh, discretion and ability in both allowing access, um, setting fees, um, and really running that terminal uh, for the next. Uh, 32 years, and that's you know that's just been the plain language of, of uh, paragraph uh, 4.1. So again, I thank you for the opportunity to comment, and um, uh, again, uh, just to reiterate, uh, one we would we would suggest that the city council um, deny this request on its face, um, and then in the alternative, um, we would ask that the city council not vote on it this evening until they have an opportunity to get additional impact and consider other alternatives. Um, that could meet the city, um, meet the city's uh, intent and desires uh, long term, and, um, and could achieve that in a more transparent and inclusive process um, that includes other users and stakeholders of that public facility. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll open it up for council discussion now. Now, I, I guess I'll start off quickly. I, I, I'm, I have some conflicting thoughts. I'm, I have, I'll admit I'm a little torn on this one. On the one hand, quite frankly, I want to say, you know, hats off to the company that came up with this idea and came forward with it first. I mean, uh, you know, we've got quite a few different companies that use the pier, and uh, this particular company came up with this idea for a long-term plan to, uh, uh, to uh, expand its operations, uh, maintain our infrastructure for us, give us a steady source of income. And so 
if we were a private sector company, we would simply we wouldn't be having a public meeting about it. We'd simply say if we like the if we like the deal, we'd approve it. And that's all there is to it. On the other hand, we're not a private sector company. We are a public body, and I do feel some uh, some sense of um, providing needing to provide others the opportunity to make competing bids for a similar uh, product. Um, I frankly don't like being put in the middle of competing businesses, and you know, let's be honest. I mean, we know that the companies that compete for that dock space and for the passenger share on the river, they're they're tough competitors, as they should be. That's what makes uh, American entrepreneurial business great. These folks see a market and they come to the Columbia River and they're providing service and they're they're competing very strongly against each other for that service, and that's we're sort of finding ourselves in the middle of that. Um, so I, I'm kind of torn, frankly, between wanting to provide the competitor an opportunity to give, a, to give a competing bid and just rewarding the company that came up with the idea first. I'm interested in what my colleagues feel. Uh, I'll comment if I may. Uh, like you, uh, Mr. Mayor, I support the, the idea of getting our public works department out of the group and I support the idea of That's where my head was until I read the lease. And before we heard from American Fleet, we had gotten a couple of local comments saying, what are you doing with the public dock, uh, turning it over to a private company? When I read the lease, I got to section 4.1, which has been referenced tonight, and tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody other than the company that wrote the lease. And the first thing is that they have the absolute right to set whatever price they want. That seems like a problem to me. They conceivably could set a price that would make it unfeasible for another company to use that dock. The second thing is that they have a right to, um, their, their ship state presidents on the dock, and I can understand that up to a point, but they also have the right to change the schedule. And it says for acts of God and things like that, but it also said, it says that it's commercially impractical. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it seems to me that uh, a cruise company has to sell their cruises well in advance. They're not selling them today for a cruise tomorrow. They're selling them for next year. And to not be able to count on your dock reservation seems to me not to work. Um, the other thing is further down the lease, it doesn't seem like the city actually has any recourse. If the company does not perform as we are expecting them and in good faith to perform, we can't get out of this lease the way it's written. We can't say, wait a minute, you have to do this in order for us to maintain this lease. So I have problems with the way the lease is, is, is presented. And, and I would have trouble supporting it. Though I would love to see all of this happen in terms of getting Jeff off the hook for, for being a cruise babysitter and for getting some, some infrastructure support. I had uh, some of the same concerns as, as Roger um, after reading the lease. Mainly, again, the, when this was first brought up, just or first reading it, concerned about, again, the lack of recourse. So if, if the dock is not being maintained to what we consider to be the necessary standards, um, you know, does the city have the right to 
to essentially null the lease. Um, just some of the safety provisions around the lease like that. Um, I know that the bottom line for me is supporting public works and, and Jeff and just, I know uh, I've seen a list of services that Public Works provides, and it's much longer than I think most people realize. Um, and I don't think this should be on it. And so I'm determined to, to see this off, be put off of your plates. Um, I mean, I also really agree with what Mayor Henningsgaard said, excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Henningsgaard said, about you know a lease being a lot more than just um, a monopoly that it, it's there's a tremendous of responsibility that this company would be taking on if they sign this and so um, yeah I mean I have a lot of thoughts on it I do am I able to ask Mr. Denley a question yes so um, Eric, Mr. Denley, you had mentioned in the letter and, and here in, in comment um, a publicly transparent bid process, also an RFP, so a request for proposal. Are you saying that you are interested in, in entertaining uh, a, a similar lease or participating in, in a bid process? Uh, yes, um, absolutely we would. And, um, again, I'll just reiterate you know some of my concerns with, with maybe this process and and the resulting leak is that it, it's just not very inclusive um while i certainly also applaud you know a company that 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 brings um a solution to to a public entity like the city of victoria um i you know i think frankly this lease is very self-serving for the entity that brought it to the city um we we would be very very open to collaborating um, on a mutually beneficial agreement, um, but we we didn't we didn't necessarily know or understand um, that there was a problem that, that necessarily needed to be fixed. I mean, I, I um, this has been a great education for us to understand some of the concerns with um, with the city public public works department, and, and uh, you know I too am sympathetic of those of those challenges, and you know we simply uh, desire to be. Again, have a seat at the table uh, in those discussions to try to help um, the city uh, come up with, you know, long-term solutions that also provide um, fair, uh, fair access to a public uh, location. Thank you. Um, I mean, that said, again, my the bottom line for me is supporting public works, um, but I am not opposed to to bringing this to the table um, either for additional bids or discussion. Um, I think one of the things too that Councillor Rafa said that concerns me is, um, and this, I mean this just kind of goes with the, the tenant landlord territory so to speak, but just the, the fact that it does appear that, that they could charge whatever they wanted. I'm assuming though that whoever is leasing the property is not going to want to uh, alienate other companies and they would need that business as well but um, uh, yeah again I'm not opposed to continuing this discussion a lot to think about Councilor. sure I guess my main concern is that American Queen 
wasn't notified of the process, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Um, but essentially, we have two cruise boat customers, if you will, American Queen and American Cruise Lines. And I appreciate what both of them do for our community, bringing passengers here, and they're beautiful boats. I love seeing the river boats on the water and, and docked at 17th Street. Um, so I think we are obviously a public body, just a matter of courtesy. It seems we should give American Queen an opportunity to present a proposal, um, keeping in mind that the city has a lot of expensive infrastructure that it has to maintain, and it does it on the backs of all of us property taxpayers, which is why our tax rate is what it is. Um, so we've got a great offer from American Cruise Lines. So I don't want to dismiss that offer outright, but I think in the interest of fairness and openness, we should give American Queen an opportunity to submit a proposal. But I don't want to drag this out, so I think we should set a reasonable deadline and come back. I, I guess I would also like to say that um, having a bidding war between the two may not be the ideal solution from my point of view, um, to put American Queen in the position of that that we're that I'm concerned about now, so that they could be the ones to say you can't talk here. That doesn't appeal to me either. Uh, what the, my favorite thing would be for them to come forward with a proposal that says we'll share the expenses of redoing the stock, and we'll and we'll take over between us and share the the, the scheduling and play rock, paper, scissors to see who gets the dock on which night or whatever it takes. But, but that would be better than having one company in control and the other one subservient to that company. I would, I would love for that kumbaya moment to come, but uh, I suspect with the significant cost of the infrastructure investments that any company having a lease like this will incur, that, you know, frankly, it's, it's going to be one, one of the competing businesses or the other will have will have that role as the as the um, person that, that owns this lease. So uh, I mean, I just don't I don't see how sharing is going to work out in the real world of business. Yeah, I, I would not to jump in, but I would agree with that. And I obviously would love to see a, a few more provisions in the current lease that did protect the whoever the tenant ends up being. Um, again, that I'll just offered it. it a little more protection there, and I know that that's not always the the, the owner's responsibility, but um, that's something that I would look more favorably upon. And I would I would just note for everyone, if you're not familiar with the river cruise industry, they currently dock at the 17th Street Street Pier or the, the port, and so the port has a lot of square footage dock space available, and. Uh, you know, if there's ever, whenever there's, comp, whenever there's one boat, two boats that want to be at, at 17th Street at the same time, one goes to the port, and as Commissioner, Port Commissioner Spence nodding his head in the background, they're they're very happy to have that, uh, have that business at the port. And uh, you know, in terms of the price that the um, the ACL or whoever would have the contract could charge, I, mean, I think they're gonna, they want, they want the money. So they're not going to price themselves out of having a, a tenant there. They're, they're going to charge a market rate because they want the income from, they want that, they would, I assume they would want that pier to be, have a boat tied up every day of the year because that's generating revenue. And if they price themselves out of it and they go to the port instead, then they're not going to be making
Yes. So, yeah, um, so, so currently, um, there are three users. So the um, American Empress, of course, and then American Cruise Lines has the Queen of the West and the American Pride. And then the Wilderness Discoverer makes, uh, like this year, they have six visits, which, which is nothing compared to the, to the um, other visits, 41, 46, and 44. So currently, the revenue from American Empress is about 29,500. The total revenue is about 73. So for them to cut out their competitor, they're going to be throwing away $30,000 of revenue. So, so our understanding as we were working through this was they're going to be dependent on that. And if they're smart businessmen, they're going to want to increase that. They're going to want to, like you said, uh, Mayor Jones, have somebody there every day. And that's where infrastructure improvements could be a whole different world than us having to uh, hang a close for business sign on when you can't afford to replace the buildings. And that's the reality that I look at. And having the staff capacity to do the design and the permits and everything else it's going to take, that could be, look what it took on our dock. That could be a two to three year process where a private private company can pull it stuff together fast and that's what they do. Councilor Brownson, are you on the line and did you want to make any comment? We lost Okay, well, if Councilor Brownson wants to. Okay. I know you have important stuff, which is why you can't be here tonight. So, uh, thank you. For I, I, I just don't want you to there. So, uh, I do have, I don't have too much to add to that. I think it's been a very good discussion. Um, I think I saw this offer as a, a great opportunity for the city for the long term and for security and, and uh, you know, stepping back, putting on our staff, all the things that were mentioned as a positive for the city, I think are true. Um, I think uh, Councilor Rocca can bring up some good points and, and I would like to uh, have a little bit more assurance whoever, uh, whatever private entity, if it's along the cruise line as opposed to uh, with the third party, um, that there be some protection for fair pricing and for uh, security of scheduling. Because I think that's, that's a really strong point. I think that uh, the idea that they want to fill it uh, space and, and to be able to get the income from the other companies that's not going to come out. I think that's right too. Uh, I love it that we have more interest in this uh, and with this possibility. And I want to give verse to seeing um, an RFP put it up and have a little competitive bidding on this uh, because as you say competition is what makes this world go around and it could be good for the city as well. So um, I'll let the uh, discussion continue or if they want to make a motion, but those are generally my comments and I uh, think it's been a very good discussion. Thank you, Councillor Brownson. So I, I, uh, I guess where I am right now is I'm really not in favor of um, just throwing this proposal out and starting over with an RFP. On the other hand, I, uh, I, I, I think I'm leaning towards saying let's push off a decision until the 30th of September at our next meeting, which is uh, four weeks from yesterday. And if a, another entity wishes to making, make a competing proposal, we could entertain that at that time along with the current proposal that's on the table. I would say that generally speaking, I'm in favor of a, uh, a contract like that that's been uh, proposed where 
uh, another entity assumes a lot of the risk from the city in exchange for investing in investing in the infrastructure and in exchange for that investment in infrastructure they they set the schedule for the uh, I think that's completely fair uh, to do we've asked our staff to be more business-like and efficient and effective and they have heeded our call uh, in negotiating this um, proposed contract um, gets us out of the business that's not really ours and also looking they're looking down the road recognizing that that pier is very expensive what are we paying on debt service every year roughly again Ms. Brooks I mean, you probably know yeah um, about, well we're paying extra yeah, we're trying to pay the loan down early. Yeah, the, the total debt service balance is $1,043,843. Yeah. So seeking an opportunity like this is very uh, far-sighted of the city staff, and I appreciate them doing that. So mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, Mayor, just to be able to also be clear, you know, that, you know, we have, as staff have been counting the benefits here, but again, this is being brought to you in response to a proposal that was was initiated just like any other sort of property sale or in this case lease transaction as the city attorney had stated you as the city council are the decision makers in terms of how to uh, address city property um, and and how it should move forward so again uh, staff has been touting the benefits here but again we were wanting to also be responsive to a proposal that was brought forward uh, to the city um, and as, as being the initial um, um, letter of interest. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you clarifying that, Mr. Estes. And yet, yeah, in response to comments that were made about you know a non-transparent process, I mean, this is the normal process when a when a private party comes to the city offering to buy or lease something, they negotiate confidential confidentially until it's ready to be put on the city council agenda. And that's what that's what happened in this case. They approached the city. Negotiated confidentially and put it on the agenda for tonight. So, so, so um, I would, Mr. Mayor, this is Dr. Stanley with American um, Queen. Um, if I could just uh, maybe add on um, your comment and maybe a comment from Mr. Estes. Um, part of the problem that I, I see um, in us responding is um, trying to define what we're responding to. Um, is it a request on behalf of the city, um, or is it a an offer made by an interested competitive party um, that is acting as they should be in their own interest? And so, um, part of the problem that I think American Queen has at this point is um, you know, we certainly would value the opportunity to make a proposal. Um, but I, I guess I would ask, you know, uh, Mayor and City Council. Um, one of the benefits of an RFP is to establish the parameters on what the ask of the city is so that the bidders can try to meet um, the request and the intent of the party. Um, in this case, I'm responding to you know, the offer of a, of a competitor, interested party. Well, if we were to look at the simple version of this, you referenced the Mr. Estes and land sale. So when a private citizen comes to us and says, hey, I want to, want to buy this empty city lot that's no one's used in 50 years for, I want to give you $42,000 for it. Yeah, so we decide whether to do that. Yeah, so Mr. Dinley, um, interestingly enough, the prior agenda item was a request to purchase some land. Under City of Astoria Code, someone makes an offer 
and the city council sets a public hearing where other offers can be uh, can be received. I believe the mayor was looking at a similar procedure that our city code uses for purchase of uh, a property. And I think that's what he was maybe looking at trying to do is, is mimic um, how our code currently reads for sale of properties, but for a lease. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. I, I didn't know if a hand was going up in the back or not. If you wanted to, yeah. Mr. ACL representative, yeah. everyone's had a chance to go back and forth several times. You might as well make a final one more time. Comment. I, I agree with, with essentially what you said in terms of the process. You know, American Cruise Lines came forward, has negotiated this, as, as uh, uh, Mr. Hennigsyard said, over a period of extended period of time to reach an agreement with city officials. And the other issue for American Cruise Lines is they have therefore geared up and have boats under construction, trying to increase the revenue, trying to increase the number of visits they're going to have. Uh, and the other point I would make is there's been this discussion about charging a fair rent to end or lease payment to anybody else who uses the dock. And you're exactly right. To the, whenever that dock is vacant, we would like to have it filled every single day because that makes that subsidizes our expenses. That helps us out and makes our operation run smoother, enhances the revenue, makes us more successful under the lease. So for us to price everybody else out of the market is, is counterproductive for us. So just wanted to make that, that point. Thank you. Thank you. So is there may I ask a question while you're yes, up? Yes. What about the issue of, of scheduling and, and changing and and changing schedules and so on? What mm -hmm. what assurance can there be for someone else that they would have the be able to, to make a reservation for time on that dock and that, that would actually happen? Well, if, if we're managing the schedule and we provide them that time, the only way that would be changed is if there was some unforeseen event, um, typically some uh, you know, a weather event, some other event that changed everybody's um, timing uh, in, in a way that required some shifting of schedules. But I don't think it's anybody's intent. I can have Mr. Roberts to speak to this to at the last minute tell somebody they can't show up. What does commercially impractical mean to a lawyer? <laughs> um, well, just that it doesn't, in a business setting, uh, it doesn't work. So when we talk about something that's commercially impractical or impracticable, it's something that in a, in a normal commercial setting doesn't function. I have just one question. Sure. Um, in the letter that Mr. Demley sent us, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, uh, but he was concerned that they've already got cruises booked here through uh, 2020 or maybe even 21. Is that something your company would be prepared to honor those dates? That's a business call. I'd have to defer to Mr. Robbins on how we would approach that. We've, we've not seen their schedule. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm Eric. I couldn't hear what you said regarding honoring. He, he's coming up to the podium. He's coming up to the podium. Thank you, sir. 
we, we've not seen their schedule for either year, and so I, I can't really speak directly to it, but it would certainly not be our intent to exclude them from the city or to cancel the, their scheduled sailings needlessly or port, port calls. So is there any counselor who wishes to make a motion at this time to approve the lease as submitted? Is there any counselor that would like to make a motion to uh, resume this conversation on the 30th of September and give any other businesses the opportunity to submit a competing proposal in the interim? Well, I'm wondering, wondering Mr. Demley, if we um, resumed our conversation on the 30th, would you be bringing something to the table? Um, yes. Uh, well, I, I could say that it would at least give us an opportunity to. Um, again, I was, I was, you know, uh, made aware. We were made aware of this on the, the docket uh, this morning, um, and so we are have been a little bit limited in our ability to sort of um, pull together and analyze the proposal. But um, again, we would certainly like the opportunity and value the opportunity to do that. Um, and I would commit to you that we would, you know, be there um, in order to discuss um, the whatever the proposed lease was uh, for the city, um, and, uh, and we will certainly discuss um, submitting a proposal. I guess, um, in light of that, I would move that we continue our discussion on September 30th on this matter. I'll check that. Any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? So there, are there any questions? Uh, the, only, the only issue then, sir, would be that we would, um, since they got the opportunity to see our proposal, we would want to be able to see theirs. We want full transparency, just as they are asking for. We, we have, I think, in fairness, we should have the right to see what they Mr. Henningsgaard, would you be, think you could formulate some sort of process to ensure the fairness? Uh, I'll do my best. Say again? I will do my best. Okay. That, that, yeah, that would be, seem to be a reasonable request. I do want to note for the council that we have lined up a large number of items for the September 30th city council meeting. I will be suggesting that we start at 5.30 or 6 o'clock that night. Okay. Good to know. I might um, interject here also since we're having that meeting on the 30th, we will also be having uh, the city council on the following Monday. Is there any sense of uh, kind of breaking this up a little bit? You can certainly do that. I'm not sure what's on the agenda for the next. Well, Mr. Estes and I will look at agendas and we'll try to break them up as uh, yeah, reasonably guess, as we can. I guess the thing is you, you, you um, made a motion tonight to continue it to a date certain. And so to give um, complete direction to the public and to the parties okay, today. So let me then just pull up my calendar since I can't visualize it in my head. So it's October 7th to be the next meeting a week later. So that's correct. I can't remember the top of my head what's on the agenda for the 30th. Um, is there one that's more time for so you you depending on what you do tonight with uh, Ridge Vista overlay you may have a second reading of that you're going to be looking at having a public hearing for Union Town reborn on the 30th 
um, and there are other um, agenda items that will be uh, that will be um, that we know that are coming up as well for September 30th. Right. And, and we do have, and we have the public hearing for the Mill Pond property sale because you sent that earlier. Okay. So then, um, would you propose that Uniontown be born? It's more critical to have it on the 30th, or could that way? Yes, we, we no, we really need the Uniontown report on the 30th. Right. So then, uh, I will I will ask for an, an amendment. How do we amend the motion to say okay. 7 October instead of 30 September? Um, you could have just an amendment to uh, to change the date to reconvene. Um, for the 7th of October City Council meeting. Okay, can we have a second to that amendment? Uh, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Can we do the fact that there's no point? No, that has been, that has been said. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so 7 October. Okay, and APOC folks, uh, thank you for participating. And if there's any further questions, you can contact the city manager's office. and. Uh, Unless you want to stay on for another two hours of discussion, we'll see you later. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we really do appreciate the opportunity to uh, join you via cell phone and to provide uh, feedback into the process. So thank you. I'll go ahead and hang up now. Okay. Thank you. And so it's um, it's eight it's eight eight thirty, uh, just about eight twenty-five. We've got the interment of ashes on church grounds, and then we have a more lengthy. Uh, topic. I'm I'm thinking just before we take a recess, I'm thinking this next topic is going to be very brief. So perhaps let's go ahead with item 6C regarding interment of ashes on church grounds. So uh, the city of Astoria has uh, received correspondence from Grace Episcopal Church regarding the uh, potential installation of a columbarium on church grounds. And presently, Astoria City Code prevents uh, this type of use within the Astoria city limits. And so uh, what is in your packet is a letter which was addressed uh, to Mayor Jones and myself. Uh, the mayor has added this item to the city council agenda to be able to get council uh, dialogue and discussion on this proposal um, and as to whether or not you wish to direct uh, the city attorney and staff to uh, bring forward a an amendment to the city code uh, which would allow this type of use. So I would note that there are representatives from uh, Grace of the School in the, in the audience as well. Is, is the code specific to ashes on what it prohibits or does it just say it prohibits burial within city limits? Uh, the city code was actually written, this particular part of the code was written in 1896. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it only talks about burial of bodies, which is defined by a statute to include uh, and I, I know there, there was informal conversation between the city manager and individual counselors to ask whether they wanted this on the agenda and I believe the consensus of all five counselors was that they would be in favor of uh, allowing internment of ashes. And, and the general consensus was that there was, there was interest in at least uh, bringing a code amendment forward to be able to allow this. And so you're asking our vote to whether the direct staff to bring that up to right. Yeah. So could we have a could we have a motion? Uh, I would move that we ask staff to bring forward a resolution uh, separating bodies from ashes <laughs> and, and permitting the internment of ashes uh, within the city of the Muslim I'll second that. 
and, and just to be clear, that will be a, an, an ordinance that would never be required. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Aye. Okay, before we start uh, the marquee attraction tonight, it is now 8.28. Let's take a 10-minute break. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Uh, with some of the language and some of the uh, figures. 
one of the things that we I did was I went through the code as the Planning Commission had submitted, and I did make a couple of changes that were consensus um, clarifications. And one of those was view corridor, and whether or not view corridor included structures would be prohibited, could cars be parked in there. So one of the things I did was just define view corridor to say no structure, but cars could be parked in a view corridor, the same as on a street, which is used as a view corridor. The second issue was one that came up at staff level of what is top of bank? And one of the issues was we said that top of bank is for non-water dependent uses. And so we wanted to clarify that things such as uh, pilings and dolphins and other water dependent type features that are required to be in the water would be exempt from that top of bank. We're talking about commercial structures top of bank, not pilings and dolphins for moorings. Um, the other issue that we fixed was the question came up about we're looking at floor area ratio and size of buildings to try to get view quarters towards the river, north-south orientation. So we added uh, a section that just said buildings should be on a north-south orientation so that they are narrower um, against the, the highway, giving broader view quarters rather than having a building that would go the full width of the, the highway. So that made it so that they would create more view quarters. Okay. Okay, just as a reminder, we're gonna go through a couple slides real quick, just as reminders. This is the Bridge Vista area that we're talking about in blue. The two plan districts on the left in red is the port proposed plan district. The orange one on the right is the Astoria Warehousing Plan District. And that white area is what is called the pedestrian oriented zone, which has a few more restrictions. We talked about height and the fact that in Astoria we uh, measure to the midpoint between the eave and the ridge for a pitched roof and to the top of a flat roof. We also talked about the height exemptions which included uh, pole, flag poles and utility pipes, uh, utility equipment such as heating and venting and also uh, elevator shafts and the fact that the code now does prevent anything other than the necessary square footage for the elevator shaft. No extra square footage up there. Uh, we also talked as top of bank and how that would be uh, for anything that was not water related. Now here's an example for building height when we're talking about number of floors. Uh, if you're looking at a 28 foot high building, that would be basically a two story um, and the third floor gets you up to 35 foot. When we're looking at the square footage, the council has already said, and the planning commission, that they did not want parking area within the building counted as square footage to encourage the parking to be hidden rather than having a sea of parking. So in a three-story building, in this situation, you might have a 15-foot high building that has zero square footage because it's all parking. If it 
it goes to two stories, you would have one story of parking, one story of building, a 28-foot high building with only one floor of usable space. Third floor may give you two floors of usable space. So that's just to kind of give you an idea of height. This also gives you a comparison of a 35-foot high building um, with a lower roof versus a high-pitched roof and going to the midpoint of that eave and ridge, how it can get higher. We also talked about floor area ratio, and that's where um, you set an amount of the lot that we covered by square footage of the floor. So in this situation, the bottom uh, list there is an FAR of 0.5, so half the lot could be covered with square footage. If you want a second story, you would have to take that square footage from half the first floor to stack it, like, like uh, Lego blocks. You only get so many blocks and you start stacking them. Okay, when we're talking about the view quarters and what you're seeing, I just wanted to show where we are today. And the first one on the top left is taken at Stephanie's cabin looking west. Driving a little bit further, you're next to a story of warehousing. Then you're down by the uh, quarter between the two warehouse buildings. And then as you get to the, the bottom row, you're at the end of the warehouse building and you're starting to see Northwest Natural Gas. By the time you get up to Northwest Natural Gas, a one-story building, you're not seeing the river again. Uh, so, so far from Stephanie's, there's no view of the river. Then you get to Columbia Avenue, and for a quick second there, you have a view down Columbia Avenue. As you proceed past Columbia Avenue, you have the uh, former restaurant, and you have the Holiday Inn Express. With vegetation, there is no view of the river. Then you get to the Maritime Memorial and Sumi Hall. You have the bridge abutment. Again, very little, if any, view of the river. Then Bay Street, one story on one building on one side, a small street, and you have a uh, Sumi Hall and M&M clothing on the other side. Down below, you have the Motel 6. Again, blocks it. The end of the Motel 6 in the center, and it's not until you get to uh, Basin Street, just past the Kentucky Fried Chicken, where it opens up and you start looking out over the Riverwalk uh, Inn and the Port Mooring areas. So just a reminder of what you've got there today. Now what I did was look at some scenarios based on the numbers that were being thrown around at the City Council meeting last time. Scenario one is what was proposed by the Planning Commission. A building height of 35 feet, no height exceptions, no variances. Everything above 15 feet would be stepped back if it's against a river trail or a right-of-way. And the maximum square footage is 30,000 square feet per building. Uh, there would be no exception to the maximum and the floor area ratio was uh, recommended at 0.75. There would be a 60-foot wide view corridor between buildings on the same lot. The majority of, majority of the lots are not large enough to have two buildings and a 60-foot corridor. Most of them are between 50 and 100 feet wide. When you're looking at uh, having two buildings, you're probably talking about 
Northwest Natural Gas, the story of warehousing, and some of the port properties. In scenario two, if you went to a 28-foot high building, that's two stories, no height exceptions, 20,000 square feet per site, with a half 0.5 FAR, and again, still the 60 feet between the two. Then I looked at combining some of these things that everybody was talking about and going with a 28-foot high building, but in response to the concern that public <coughs> access on these private lots, even though it was a view quarter that was not giving any public physical access, just view access. So one of the thoughts was a 35-foot exception if there was a physical public access corridor, as well as the view corridor, one and the same. And then 20,000 square feet per site, and possibly doing a maximum uh, square foot exception for uh, anything that has over one acre of the site. So that, that was just another scenario that might uh, play in, and again, I put it at a 0.5. So then what I did was I looked at a story of warehousing. This is what's existing now. The first building on the left uh, is, all, it's 19,000 square feet. The middle wind is 15,700, and then the large wind has three portions to it. The left small square is 10,000, the main building is 53,500, and then the end little piece of that northeast corner is 2,600 square feet. So that, and that site is 3.7 acres on land and is 880 feet long. So that's a very large site for the number of buildings that are being proposed in the code amendment. Here is a scenario with that 3.7 acres. If you limited them to 30,000 square feet per building and had a floor area ratio of 0.5, that's only 80,586 square feet of building. So they would be limited to two 30,000 square feet buildings and one 20,000 square foot building. The blue boxes at the top are two 20,000 and a 30,000 square foot building with 60 foot view quarters. And with that scenario, which is uh, one of the, uh, the 30,000 max, you're looking at three one-story buildings with approximately 430 feet of view quarter remaining with a one-story building. If these went to two-story buildings, then that would double because they would only be half as wide. So now let's look at one site, and I'm going to show you some different scenarios so you can see how these numbers pencil out. This is the strip of land owned by the port, right by the Maritime Memorial at the end of Bay Street. So I think you're all familiar with that site. If you went with a 30,000 square foot building, no floor to area ratio, a one-story building, uh, either 15 to 28 foot wide, uh, feet high, would cover the entire lot. So that's a 29,000 square foot lot. There would be no view. If you do two stories and still at the 30,000 square feet, 
that brings it into half the lot and you start getting 150 feet of view just by going up the second story from that, um, that lot and keeping it at 30,000 square feet. If you go to 20,000 square feet with an FAR, or with an FAR of 0.75, that would allow you 22,200 square feet on that site. That would give you a little bit less than 70 feet of view quarter. So by doing the higher FAR and one story, you would have a small view quarter. By going to two stories with that 0.75 FAR, still you're limited to 22,000 because of the size of the lot. You get a 170 foot view quarter with a two story building. On that same lot, if you go to a 0.5 FAR, then you would be limited to 14,800 square feet of floor area. For a single story building, that's what it would look like with 150 feet of view quarter. If you went to a two story, which would be 28 to 35 feet, when I'm saying two story, remember, uh, that gives you about 250 feet of view. So when we're saying two story, I want to remind you that that's 28 to 35 because the first non-counting story could be parking. So they could do parking outside here and just have a 28-foot high building, or they could do parking inside the building, which would bring it up to 35. But this would still say a 35-foot high. Okay. So with those, I wanted to just show you how some of those numbers would pan out. When you have the floor area ratio, that really starts limiting how much of the lot can be covered. By, not, by just saying square footage, you could theoretically fill an entire lot with a building. Okay. Then we had the two plan districts, the Port Westmoreland Plan District, um, there was discussion at the last meeting as to what could be changed in this district. And there was some discussion as whether or not to increase or allow uses to change. Excuse me, we're just talking about on land in that port area. Um, this would allow some flexibility, but would not, with the one proposed by the Planning Commission, it would not allow changes in use. The Astoria Warehousing Plan District, since that was more of a commercial area, larger site, uh, it did allow possible changes in use, and the other uses and changes were similar with the setbacks and stepbacks, uh, no view quarter reductions, building sizes and footprints could change, so that would change your floor to area ratio and any limitation areas or pedestrian areas in either zone would be still protected. Yeah, that was it. So that gave you kind of an overview of what some of the changes could be. If you decide to go with what the Planning Commission recommended, what you would be doing is uh, with those changes that we made with the two definitions and adding the building orientation, you would be looking at top of bank for the water area except for water dependent. 
and you'd be looking at a maximum height of 35 feet, no variances, and a floor area ratio of 0.75. Uh, you would also be looking at step backs above 15 feet or one story, and that step back again is along the river trail and the streets, and doing a 60 foot wide corridor between two buildings and having that north-south orientation. Um, and that would exclude, again, still excluding the garage as that first floor square footage. So I, I can answer questions that just kind of gave you a little overview of the impact of the various options that you were discussing. I don't have any questions for you this time. I want to thank you again, as we have okay. repeatedly, for your extremely hard work making these continued changes and helping us get to this point. I've got a quick question. I thought you said that parking, um, if it's not underground or it's not on the ground level but not part of the building, uh, would count toward the height max. So if you had a two-story building and the first story is parking, then you only have one story of... It's a difference between height and stories. Uh, when you're looking at square footage is what we're talking about, that does not count okay. for parking, but the height doesn't matter whether it's parking. Okay, that's what I thought. Right. It's that floor-to-area ratio and the square maximum square footage of the building. The height still is whatever you set the height at includes the parking level. Okay. And I just want to say your scenarios have been really helpful. Oh, good. Thank, Thank you for all your work. And again, Rosemary. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll open it up for council discussion now. And there may, there may be some more questions for you. Okay. And I'll just reiterate once again, I don't like to thank not only Rosemary, but the other city staff, Mr. Estes, <coughs> members of the Planning Commission, a few of whom are in attendance. Um, a lot of people have spent a lot of time very diligently wading through these issues and exploring all the different possible avenues, considering all the different pros and cons of the very different options available. So I thank them and the many citizens who have weighed in as well. And I, I'll start by saying, you know, virtually everyone, if not every resident of Astoria, treasures the waterfront and treasures the views of the river that we enjoy from so many, literally hundreds of locations in town that we, as we drive around or walk around and bike around town that where we can see the river. And I know we all agree that those river views and the ability to enjoy the, the waterfront from the River Trail and other places are right, some of the things, the most special things that we have, that all make us live here, and why we enjoy this community. And um, you know, every member of this council agrees with that, I know, and I just wanna thank all the people who have expressed their opinion about their personal views on specifically how we should protect those views and protect our access to the waterfront. Um, we're still working on Bridge Vista Overlay Zone tonight, rather than the urban core, which we had all hoped to be working on by now. Um, for, frankly, just for one reason, because of the Fairfield Inn Hotel project last year. The many public hearings that were held associated with that project by the DRC, the HLC, the City Council, 
and much public input that was provided through a variety of means, means made a few things very clear. Uh, first, that there was a sentiment in the community that the four-story height limit, which was established by a public process two city councils ago in 2015, is considered too high for developments between Marine Drive and the waterfront, particularly if the development concerned is a hotel, and particularly if it's a corporate chain hotel. And secondly, there is clearly an underlying sentiment among some that is opposed to any corporate type development, chain development, hotel or otherwise, and particularly if the developer is not a local person, and particularly if the project's a hotel, and especially if it's four stories tall, <laughs> are common themes. So in reviewing our code, we're all charged as elected officials with being both responsive to the community's desires, in this case, to protect our access to and views of the river, and to support a thriving local economy and the rights of private property owners in commercial districts to utilize their private property for commercial purposes. And in any land use process, our actions as elected officials can affect the monetary value of private property. And I would argue that we should always wield that power very soberly. The Planning Commission, in the package of recommended code amendments they've given us, wrestled very openly, and I read, I read the minutes and listened to some of them, the recordings, they wrestled very openly and at great length with these competing needs of economic development and respect for private property rights and the concerns of our residents to balance those needs with what we all agree is the very uh, high value of our waterfront access and water views. The Planning Commission very explicitly acknowledged in their deliberations that to anyone passing by on Marine Drive, and I didn't know Rosemary was going to show the photos, but that showed it. I mean, um, frankly, from anywhere in Uniontown and anywhere in Marine Drive, uh, there is no difference between a 28-foot tall building and a 35-foot tall building. In fact, if you have a six-foot bush, your view is blocked. There is no view of anything above one story. Um, and the ABC's recommendations indicated to me a conclusion that restricting the mass of buildings through the imposition of a floor-to-area ratio, which I thought was brilliant, with a 35-foot height restriction was a far more effective solution in protecting river views than simply imposing a lower height. And I've heard it argued by some that, yes, it's true that 38 feet really doesn't block any more river view than 28 feet, but corporate chain hotels won't build unless they have at least 35 feet, so we need to set a 28-foot restriction. And I agree with my colleagues and neighbors that want to keep more corporate chain hotels from our waterfront. The more national chain businesses come to Astoria, the less unique we are. And our uniqueness, with all the great local restaurants we have, and no chain restaurants other than the fast food places, is a huge part of our value proposition, what makes, what makes us love this community, what makes visitors love the community. But blocking corporate chain hotels through the back door, as I would describe it, of setting an unreasonably low height restriction in my opinion, it's an abuse of our power to restrict private property rights. If we're going to tackle the issue of corporate chain hotels, let's just do it forthrightly and head on. Um, the Chamber of Commerce tells me that there's currently 650 hotel rooms in Astoria. That includes uh, bed and breakfast. It does not include home, sh home shares or homestay lodging. 
and I did a quick calculation between the Bowie Beer Adrift Hotel project, the Fairfield, the Walt Pastel Weight project, and the um, proposed, it's not been proposed to the city yet, but in the newspaper, the proposed 90-room hotel on the South Slope. In the next couple of years, our number of hotel rooms could grow by 35% from the current 650 to about 875 hotel rooms which is a pretty significant increase. And to me, that would suggest, you know, at that point you're reaching that area that people talk about, which is maybe that's enough hotels for a city of our size. So I'm ready tonight to make a motion to direct the staff to begin a process of developing code amendments restricting formula businesses, specifically hotels and restaurants, within the city limits. Additionally, I fully support the recommendations of the Astoria Planning Commission on the Bridge Vista Overlay Code Amendments. And I believe those two statements are complementary. By supporting both the Astoria Planning Commission's recommendations for applying a floor to area ratio with a 35 foot high restriction and amending our code to restrict formula hotels as well as formula restaurants, we're being responsive to the concerns of the citizenry and we're being consistent with our vision that we'll make decisions that value our unique character, livability, and also support a thriving local economy. Uh, 
speak out a desire of the council, I would also uh, ask to add that adjustment along with uh, changing the 0.5 bar to a 0.75. I think a 0.5 bar, I mean, you just getting the ridiculously small uh, buildings and, and footprints on the different lots. So uh, those, that's about where I stand. In general, though, uh, I think that scenario one, I do appreciate uh, what you just offered here, Mayor, about uh, changes that uh, come into town, concerns uh, along those lines, and being able to start work on, on a fix there. I would support that. Um, and that I would, uh, first and foremost, be in favor of scenario one and the APC plan with that slight amendment to question uh, uh, oriented areas. Thank you. Thank you. Other discussion? Sure. Um, first, I, I have no objection to the town's uh, proposal that we have the plan districts match up in terms of what's permitted. Um, I think that's, that's okay. And I do appreciate uh, Rosemary and the Planning Commission introducing FAR. I think that that solves one of the biggest problems with, uh, with where we started. When we first discussed it, we worried about, about square footage of buildings, uh, but at that point we were moving ahead in a way that we, we couldn't consider that. So, uh, you know, I'm glad we're there now where we're dealing with a farm. Um, and a, a couple of questions, Rosemary, on your scenario three, can you clarify what you mean by public access? What, what, uh... When we talked about view quarters, uh, most of the view quarters will be across private owned property, not through rights of way, because this area of town has very few rights of way. The question had come up with while people could look through, could people walking along West Marine Drive? walk through those corridors, new corridors, to access the river. And the way the scenarios are written, number one, the one that the Planning Commission saw, uh, is just a view quarter. It's still private property and the owner could restrict any physical access. In scenario three, what I was uh, suggesting there was if you want to require public access on private property, you don't want to go through a takings of saying you're gonna, they have to provide that. However, what you can do is it's a give and take. If they want that extra height to 35 feet, then they could have that if they provide the public access. So that would be so that it would be a path so that someone could actually physically walk through and not just view. I guess uh, uh, just to make sure we're clear on, on the on the fog. What that means, uh, say using the scenario one as an example, a 0.75 fog means that a building cannot occupy more than 75% of whatever the lot size is? That's correct. And so the 0.5 means only 50%? So correct. Are we limited to 75 and 5? Is there a 0.6? You can do any figure you want. We just right. came up with some figures, 0.5, 0.75, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5
1.0 are typical ones that you see, and that's why we were compromising uh, with a 0.75, which would allow a slightly larger uh, building. But any figure can be adopted. Um, and I agree with Tom's point that the 0.5, when you look at the examples you gave, seems seems pretty restrictive, and that's one of the reasons I asked whether there's a uh, happy ground in between. Um, Whatever we decide tonight, most of this district is exceptions. We have an exception for the port, we have an exception for the warehouse, we have an exception for what are independent uses. Right. And those things all are, are appropriate. But we also are probably, as we make this decision tonight, sort of stating our values. Uh, Mayor earlier talked about property values, and, and, and I agree with him that we we don't want to damage anyone. But it's true and, and it hasn't been recognized for a long time that property value applies to people who own homes as well. And if you have an inland river and then all of a sudden because of something else that's built in front of you, you don't, your property value is not the same as it was. So that thing, that works both ways. Um, I thought, by the way, that we that this stat on the number of rooms we have in town now was, according to the hotel industry itself, was 900 rather than 600. That's neither here nor there. I think we're we're I guess where I would come down on this. We haven't seen the option three until tonight. There is some some appeal in, in, in that kind of trade. And I guess it's, I should say too, the reason 28 feet came up in the first place was not something that was picked out of the air. It was because 28 feet is the height of the majority of buildings in our downtown. That's how high our downtown is, it's 28 feet. The, the buildings that vary from that are the exceptions. The 28-foot building is the rule, so that's that's where that figure came from. Um, what I'm feeling now, seeing these scenarios, is that the 0.5 is probably too restrictive. The 0.75 probably doesn't give us quite as as much as the public has been telling us all this time that that we need to have on the riverfront. sure when we get into the FAR, if we're saying that you can't occupy more than a certain percentage of your site with a building, how much, how important that is for putting to that building? If it can only occupy a certain portion of the site, you're still, so I guess we're still struggling, we're struggling out loud um, to see where we come up with a uh, motion on this. So let me shut up for a while and let somebody else talk. But, but uh, I, I can start blabbing. Okay. Um, first Mayor, I completely agree with your proposal to uh, have an ordinance or whatever the correct terminology is written to prohibit 
formula businesses um, in, well, formula hotels, was that what you proposed? I proposed hotels and restaurants. Okay, hotels and restaurants. And I did, just for the record, I didn't propose other businesses because then you start getting into an auto parts store. You can't right, have right. auto parts. And yeah. other people have said they wish JTC Pennies was still here to buy, be able to buy exactly. men's clothing in a store. No, good point. But yeah, hotels and restaurants, I completely support that. Um, I, I'm still concerned that our waterfront is our treasure and it belongs to all of us. It's the way I look at it. I realize, as I've said in past meetings, I didn't pay seven figures for waterfront property. Um, most of us can't do that. But we all live here and I look at it again as something that we are passing on to future generations. And preserving some of that waterfront um, for all of us through views, um, through buildings that are not out of scale, ensures that we maintain our investment. What brings people here now? I mean, we've had people, before I was elected, I remember a couple from Vancouver, BC, or maybe it was Victoria, speaking at a meeting, I think it might have been the Fairfield Hotel meeting or something along those lines, urging the council, or maybe it was the Design Review Committee. And I'm not criticizing decisions that were made, it's water under the bridge, but their point was urging the governing body to protect what we have here, because it is unique. Um, you can't find another Astoria in the world. So I just really feel like we would be selling ourselves short if we allowed um, three-story buildings and a .75 far. I know I'm talking restrictions, um, but reading the newspaper last week, I was struck by a figure that the Merwin Hotel, um, which is right next to City Hall, uh, four stories, is 24,000 square feet. And I was surprised that it was only 24,000 square feet. Um, they're going to be developing, I believe, 41 bedroom apartments. Some of them will be in the basement, um, but still, so to me that says that we can allow property owners on the waterfront to make a profit and yet still preserve views. And I realize right now in Uniontown there are very few views, which is a shame, but somebody could buy the warehousing site and take those buildings down. We need to make sure we have very specific and strict zoning so that we don't end up with a wall of buildings like we have now. I also do not support the planned districts. Um, I was struck reading our packet, something, um, I believe it's in the comprehensive plan, or maybe it was something else, Brett, you could correct me, that planned districts can be allowed when existing base and overlay zone provisions limited to those identified in section 14.124D are inadequate to achieve a desired public benefit as identified by the city council and or to address identified needs or problems in the area. We haven't proven that the Riverfront Vision Plan is inadequate or at least what we're going to be enacting with the Bridge Vista changes. 
We haven't even enacted them yet, so how do we know whether they won't be adequate? So I really get uncomfortable talking about plan districts as though they've already been approved, which is what I'm hearing tonight. So I think I've expressed my position. Um, well, I too want to thank everybody for their participation in this. Um, I can't, I can't even count how many people I've spoken with and, and listened to uh, from business owners to property owners to constituents to people who visit here um, to department heads to people on the APC and uh, I it's, it's been a very difficult, in some ways, a very difficult decision to, to make, to feel like I'm making the right decision. Um, I'm going to echo a lot of what I said at the previous meeting, and uh, I think that Bruce articulated that very well, and, and that is what I feel like gets at the heart of the issue which is the types of development that I hear a lot about um, what, what most people, and I say most carefully because there's a lot of people I haven't heard from, um, what types of development that people feel that they don't want here. And, and I agree that that is primarily um, chain hotels and, and restaurants that I feel like largely exploit the local economy and don't directly give back. Um, that said, uh, to bring this full circle for me, I'm going to agree with Councillor Herman in that um, I think I was initially hesitant or even slightly afraid of more restriction because I didn't want to put something in, into code that would be essentially too restrictive, but I do think that in looking at scenarios two and three, I do still think that development is possible with those numbers in place. Um, and at the same time, prioritizing uh, protecting the river walk. Um, which I see as just as important as development. Perhaps we can ask first Brady to clarify uh, our understanding of plan districts. Because as, as I understood them, mm -hmm. the plan district would give uh, the historic warehousing uh, property, for example, an opportunity to come forward with a plan that they think would be a benefit to the community satisfy their needs and the council would have uh, the authority to either approve or disapprove of that plan. Is that correct? That's correct. The, what's in the code is just to set up the process for future determination whether a plan district is necessary. It does not set up the plan districts at this time. It would just say we've got our code now. If in the future the or the story of warehousing come in with a master plan that the city council agrees with that shows that there's that they can't that there's a problem with development with the, the code as it is that they would have the opportunity at that time to get that master plan adopted 
and have some special exceptions that are listed here, that are limited, um, changes to the code for that plan development. It would not implement any plan districts at this time, it just gives the process for the future. And if, uh, say, using the story work on everything as an example, again, came in with a master plan for the district, and that, in the council's view, parts of it were acceptable, but parts of it were not to the community's benefit. You can deny it for any reason, yes. <coughs> well, I do like the idea of not precluding future good ideas. And so that's why I was kind of okay with the idea of plan districts, because there may be something that comes along in the future that we haven't thought of. And I have no problem with water-dependent uses, because that, in fact, is uh, when people come to Astoria and say, I love it, I love this pretty feeling. So I'm not talking about waterfront-dependent uses, generally speaking. Um, Well, as, as the person who put out 28 feet in the first place, I certainly could go along with, uh, with my two colleagues who expressed a, a support for that. And looking at your example, the point five, So I guess I, I'm going to throw in with my two colleagues on scenario two. And just to clarify, Ms. Johnson, looking at your slide from the last presentation, I think it's the same. So with a, a floor area ratio of 0.75, a two-story building would be allowed to cover no more than 37.5% of a lot. Correct. What you have is every time you take and put more on the top, you yeah. bring it off of the Ground. And a three-story building with a 0.75 far would cover only 22.5%. And I only offer that clarification because one of my colleagues made the comment that with a three-story building, you would be depriving people of the right to enjoy the waterfront. But in fact, a three-story building with a 0.75 far would only allow 22 point less than a quarter of lot coverage. Correct. And a 0.5 far with a two-story building would be maximum one quarter lot coverage. Correct. Well, one story would be half, and then two stories would be quarter. Was any consideration ever given to increasing FAR on the second floor? I mean, if the goal is to preserve a river view corridor, but the one-story building uh, only allowing 0.5 lot coverage to go up to two-story only one quarter, it would seem fairer and more economically viable to do anything with the building if at the higher, at the second story or third story, if there were a consensus to go for 35 feet to allow a higher floor. If you want view corridors, you want a lower floor with a one-story building, you want to encourage them to go taller and narrower, right? So why not allow a higher floor with a second story or a third story, thus preserving the view corridor? Right, that gets counter to the concept of an FAR because the FAR is 
your floor to area ratio for the whole thing. If you want to go with the scenario that you're talking about, what you would do is limit the footprint of the building for the ground floor and then just have a height and not have an FAR. You could state that the, the ground floor cannot exceed 50% of the lot. That's like our residential zones. You can cover your lot with 30% building, 30% of the lot with buildings, and you're limited to the height. Where you place them or how many stories within that height, within that percentage. The R3 gets more dense and it's a 50% lot coverage. So you could do a similar thing here and that's what you're pretty much proposing is a maximum percentage of lot coverage with a maximum height. And sorry to clarify, that would also have a maximum lot size, correct? So you couldn't end up with a massive lot you have to make sure you add that in. If you want maximum lot coverage rather than floor to area ratio, but then you would still want to limit the square footage of the total building so that you didn't get 50% of a story of warehousing covered in buildings. Right. So you would still want to limit the total square footage of the building no matter how tall it was. That's my question, thank you. So that, I like that idea though of going with a footprint um, because then you can have um, two-story buildings, um, 0.5 footprint um, that is still preserving views. But I mean, to me, that's a really good compromise. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's how you start. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure. I was making yeah. myself clear. Well, and, and I have just one question. On the Astoria warehousing site, let's say whoever buys the site takes the warehouses down, um, they would be able to construct multiple buildings, but there would have to be 60, depending on what we decide tonight, uh, there would have to be 60 foot view quarters between the buildings if we decide that, is that correct? If you go with the, the amendment as proposed, it would require 60, of view quarter between buildings and you can increase or decrease that and uh, how many buildings and what size then you get back to your maximum square footage or maximum FAR so how large each of those buildings can be is determined and if I think it was the next one yeah this is just showing what 220 and 130,000 square foot one story building would be. But if you had 60 feet in between, you could still get another 21 or 220,000 square feet one story buildings. So it's how much do you want to limit uh, okay. per site or per building in the square footages? And that's one of the things if you look at the, the scenario here, the Scenario one, which was the planning commission, they were saying a 30,000 square feet per building. And that makes a big difference for the larger sites. If you go with the 20,000 per site, that is very, very restrictive versus the 30,000 per building.
Well, I would, I would just add, add in here that you know, my perspective, every, when I look at this, when you use the farm formula and you use the 60-foot uh, square foot between two buildings, the two buildings are on one building site, that combination leaves vast, every, 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 every time it's been discussed or presented by uh, Ms. Johnson, it, we see these expansive view corridors relative to anything that sort of has come before. And so I'm, I'm really surprised that, at how restrictive one is willing to make it. And I, I think pointing out that, you know, if we have a point seven five far, you know, and, and you want to go up two stories, you, you're using less than half the lot, 36 percent. That's that's hardly any coverage at all. That's leaving a, a wide gaping area. So I think based on this is just my opinion, of course, based on where we started, where we came from, last session with the last council, um, these this is far far beyond uh, where we thought we needed to go. And I'm uncomfortable with but I also, very, I think it's very important, once again, i got to stress, to um, have those planned districts. Uh, again, particularly the port, just because I'm partial to the port because the port survival and economic viability is very important to Astoria. And I liked what Rosemary Johnson did at the beginning of her presentation when she took you for a walk down the uh, corridor. And when you got to the port section of Marine Drive, you, except for one spot, one through one street, you don't, you, right now, you don't see it. Um, you don't see any water. You've got to be down, you've got to go down to the port, you've got to go down to the river walk to see it. So almost any changes that would happen in that port district would have very little visual impact and would have an enormous aesthetic impact in the improvements that could happen there because it's pretty butt ugly in many respects and that's something we have to be considering too because you know if, if we get too restrictive and we're stifling growth we're stifling development there's a lot of areas it, it needs work we want it to look better we want a better, more attractive uh, for both residents and for visitors. And I think that um, what, we're, what we're going is trying to achieve that. But when we start uh, making it so it's really unreasonable, for instance, for somebody to come in and tear down those warehouse buildings, which are lovely, but if we make it so it's just not economically reasonable, sensible for them to tear those down and put up a bunch of small buildings, I think we're making a serious mistake. I want to point out one other thing that gets a kind of has been short-shifted here when it comes to plan district. There's a five-year sunset in that. So they both court and the warehouse district have an opportunity in a five-year period to come up with a plan. In that five years, 
nobody's going to have forgotten what we are just going through, the process we're going through. That will all be fresh. And at the end of that five years, when the council, then the council gets to take another look at it. Does it still make sense? Do we still have a future there? So I would just caution the council from being overly restrictive. I think we've done a pretty good job of outlining what needs to be done there and what would be appropriate. And I, I think some really good ideas have come up with. But please, be careful. That's all. I'll just have two more comments and then I think, I think I'll be done. The, the first one is, I'd just like to remind all of us, every member of this council tonight is here proposing significant reductions in allowable height and significant increases in protection of our waterfront. There's not a person on the council who is advocating for the status quo. We're all advocating to reduce the height limits and to protect the waterfront far more significantly than we currently do. And I, I do want to add just a comment from my counselor, my colleague, Councilor Herman, who I respect greatly. Everything you said, I agree with. Every single word about treasuring our waterfront and wanting to protect it for future generations. The only thing I disagree on is the actual specific tactic to achieve the goal. You want 28, I support 35. But I agreed with everything you said. And in my heart, that's what I want to do as well. I truly believe that the Estuary Planning Commission's proposal achieves everything you said, protecting our waterfront. And by only allowing, if a building were to be built to 35 feet, only allowing it to have one quarter lot coverage, freeing up three quarters of a lot for a U-shed. I think that's an extraordinary improvement over what we have now. It's extremely responsive to the citizens' desire for protecting our waterfront. Um, and it's also a balanced approach. And I, I have the greatest respect for the deliberations the Planning Commission went through to arrive at those recommendations. So uh, that's where I stand. And having said that, I'll go ahead and make a motion. I move that we conduct a first reading of the ordinance for Bridge Vista Overlay Zone and Code Amendments with the minor editorial correction suggested by Councilor Brownson. I'll second it. A motion made and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? No. The motion fails by a two to three. I guess I'd like to like to point out that well it's probably killing staff because we're taking forever to do this. We are all listening to each other. And we're trying to find a way that we can come together with something that, that, that works for all of us. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm listening to what Joan is saying. Um, I, I like your idea with Formula Hotels. What struck me immediately after you said that, though, is we got a bullet in 2007 with condos. And so building height and mass do make a difference because kind of hard to consider any scenario that might come up and prohibit that particular scenario. I wanted to ask uh, uh, Councilor Herman, if I understood correctly, you were asking about a scenario where a building could cover half the lot, and that would apply also if it was two stories high, not just if it was one story. 
that's scenario number four, that not one of these scenarios. Um, I share Tom's, I share Tom's <coughs> discomfort that we may be being too, too restrictive. And so that's, that was my hesitation in my first long blethering dissertation. Um, and we're trying to hit the sweet spot, and I know this is taking a long time, but we're trying to get it right. And we are listening to each other, and I, you know, I, I think that's an example that I wish other government bodies would do. <laughs> Is there, is there any feeling on the council for looking at one of the other scenario two or three with a higher FAR? And I would confess too that when I looked for the 20,000 square feet, I didn't see site, I saw a building. The 20,000 for a site is more restrictive. I actually saw building too. Um, I, I mean, I'm open to considering scenario three Again, I think, like I said at the last meeting, and, and hopefully this isn't offensive to too many people, but for me, it's, it is less about views because the dialysis center blocks your view, uh, and more about um, more about being considerate with development in general. Uh, and so, in looking at scenario three. Um, with increased public public access or view corridor, you know, I'd be, I would consider that um, even going up to 35 feet, but still staying with a low FAR, which so, is how you get the increased view corridors. So, so Mayor, I'm going to throw something out. These scenarios were hypothetical scenarios, and that's really what they were, based upon concepts which were provided by the council at the last meeting. Right? They were meant to be a discussion tool and not necessarily an ABC. You have to select each one of these items. How about if we go through the various um, line items and have a dialogue about each line item and see where the council would like to end up on issues like building height maximum. Would you like an exception? Would you like a step back? And go down that way and see whether we can come to some sort of consensus in that fashion. Sure. What would we do this kind of work session? Um, no. No. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like the council is wishing to do that now. What I would suggest is if you want to go that route, let's pick a couple of things. Don't start with your height. Let's start by how much of the lot do you want covered. Let's not worry about the height first, but how much of that lot and that view corridor do you want open, no matter how high the building is. So that would be your FAR or your view quarters. So if you have more than one building on a lot, is 60 feet enough for a view quarter? That is a right of way. That is looking down 11th Street, building front to building front. I, I'm OK 
here with 60 feet. Um, I am also. And I am part of 60 feet. As am I. Okay, so now that we've decided 60 feet is a nice view corridor, how much of the lot do you want covered? If you that is with between multiple buildings in one lot. So that is not going to get you a view corridor on a small lot. So on a lot that has less area than one building, that, that can only handle one building, do you want a quarter of the lot to have it, half the lot, thinking that the smallest lot is probably 50 feet wide, but they can go up to 170 feet wide. So if you're looking at how much of that lot can be covered, what is the minimum you would like to see open on a lot? Again, I really would like the 0.5 footprint. So not the far because then as you go up, um, that's restricted even further. So you're thinking a percentage of the lot, 50% of the lot can be covered by buildings, right. not a 0.5 FAR. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I, just an observation on that is, would that, would that not uh, cause uh, taller buildings to be built because that's where you get square footage on 15 instead of building up? Uh, single story, you're asking for multi story buildings to maximize the potential for a lot. I just want to make sure that I'm catching that makes sense to, to the rest of the council. It, yeah, that, Rosemary's nodding. You can't see that, Tom. But I mean, in my view, that's what we should be incentivizing. If we want the view corridors, we should incentivize a taller, and that's why we're narrow starting. building rather than saying, you know, yeah, a quarter of the lot at two stories gives a lot more river view than a half of the lot at one story. As Councillor West said, a one-story dialysis center completely blocks your view and lines will be five stories. Right, and that's why we're starting at the bottom of this chart so that we're looking at what are you trying to achieve first and then seeing what restrictions. So if you say you want a 50% lot coverage, and you're saying only half of that lot can be covered by buildings no matter how tall it is. And that leaves half the lot open no matter how big that lot is. If it's a 5,000 square foot lot, you're going to have 2,500 square feet of open area. If it's a 10,000, it's going to be 5,000 open. So you're saying that half the lot should be open and the other half can be covered no matter how tall. That gives you your views and your open space. So then you start looking. All right, we've got half the build, half the lot covered. If it's a 5,000 square foot lot, that's only a 2,500 square foot building. That's not much. But if you're on 3.7 acres, half of that is, you know, almost two acres could be one building. So now we got to look at what's the maximum square footage you want on some of these buildings. How big? 30,000 square feet is a number that was chosen based on what some of your corporate type businesses, above that you get into a box store scenario. Under 30,000 square feet, you pretty much are 
blocking out your big box stores. So it, that's why we had come up with the 30,000. To me, that's just out of scale because the four-story Fairfield is going to be 30,000 square feet. Correct. So if you have a one-story building, 30,000 square feet, as you saw on the Astoria warehousing slide, that could be a fairly large, and it's still going to be less than 50%. And so that's where you, what we had was the percentage per building. The co-op building is one that you can look at, and that is, I believe, 10,000 10, square feet. And so you can look at what that size looks like as you see that one going up. But, but again, again, this is one of the things where I would hope that we're not always focused on hotels. I, mean, I want to look at, um, let's look at England Marine. Right. That's a very sizable building because it has two stories in the back part of the building. Um, what other types of, of development would we like to be able to have that maybe is acceptable to the community? And I, and I, I, I wholeheartedly suggest that the council not always focus on hotels. I really would suggest that. Especially if we're going with the... It could be something like the Red Building, for instance, which is uh, two stories, has a restaurant, offices, and uh, uh, an event area. So, you know, there's a good example of something other than a hotel. It's a fairly good-sized building. Yeah. I would also note that the Fairfield Hotel, when they first came in, wanted to build a much larger hotel. And actually, we had to convey to them that they couldn't. Um, that is actually a small Fairfield End Hotel. It started, they wanted 65 feet high and two 30,000 square feet buildings on that side. So that was, that's what, so that's what I'm saying, is that the development code that we have in place is already, taking for what we had actually five years ago is very restrictive now compared to what it was. Well, I think the comment about England Marine is a good one. I mean, I, I don't want to restrict us from ever attracting another employer to our community that wants to build a big building and either employ a lot of people and or build stuff. I don't want a bunch of Dutch Brothers coffee shops and say that's the only thing we allow in our town anymore. That's, that's, not, that's not what we, what we need. If we're restricting the lot coverage to 50%, I mean, I think a 30,000 square foot building is, is reasonable. Say, I would I would agree if you're if you are restricting lot coverage to 50 percent, the size of the building is, is less important to me because you're getting that that the view quarter, the view larger than a quarter. Okay. I would be okay with the size of So uh, if I heard Ms. Councilor Bronson, uh, the 30,000 with the 50% was fine with you? Yes. Okay. So then if you went with the 30,000 square foot building, maximum 50% lot coverage, and you've got a 10,000 square foot lot, 
You're starting off with each floor is a maximum of 5,000 square feet. They don't have to go to the 30,000 because they have a small lot. So now you start talking about how tall do you want your buildings. If you go with a 28, that's two stories. Theoretically, the first story could be parking and you could have a half story there and then two floors of usable space. So between 28 and 35, you're looking at a uh, two and a half to three story building at 35. Because they're about 10 foot per floor. So now- I mean, We have to remember that we have this wide range of lot sizes. It's not like we'll have, um, you know, just a whole bunch of buildings, you know, small lot. So there's going to be large openings and, and narrow openings just by the nature of how it's been divided. So 50% is going to leave most of your, half your lot open. So do you go two stories tall or do you go to that third story? And with that, do you want to limit your third story to an exception rather than the 28 with an exception to 35? And Ms. Johnson, I don't want to want to convolute things already, but you know, in trying to look at this this issue in terms of height and and how much the building would take up a lot, was there discussion at the planning commission level about like percentage of of um, uh, frontage that can uh, or maximum widths, you know, those types right. of things. Right, we did look at maximum widths of building with new quarters in between. And again, because of the the lot configuration in the Uniontown area, by limiting the width of the building and trying to create view quarters, it didn't work because buildings, the lots literally overlapped each other, so your buildings would overlap. So the larger lots are the ones where we wanted those view quarters uh, definite. And so limiting the width of the building um, can get into that, but by the 50% and a north-south orientation, the building has to be narrower in width and longer in length or depth. So we have that as the, you know, the base in here. So it does have to have that north-south orientation, so your building will be narrower in width. So it won't be the full, you know, it's going to create the view quarters. You won't have the single story going the full width of the lot. That 50% lot coverage is going to leave that north-south orientation open. Um, just one question about the wording. Wasn't the wording that buildings should be oriented north-south? I can't remember. I think I said shall. Oh, okay. Just shall have an okay good shall and shall is a requirement should is a requirement unless you can prove that it's not feasible or reasonable to require so it's a shall be as ironclad as possible right just there's no yeah, yeah shall is a shall shall is the most um restrictive restrictive okay, good <laughs> Can you remind us how we specifically 28 and 35 began became the two different things we're comparing? I mean, obviously we could 
go to 27 or 29.4 if we want to. Right. Uh, those are stand industry standards for calculating floors. Uh, you usually say your first floor is one floor or 15 feet because you have 10 feet per floor is what construction needs. And so you can have taller ceilings, which would get you your 15 feet for a first floor a lot of times. Uh, but when you do the 28, you're pretty much talking about a two-story with that little extra for your roof area or your, your floor space, you know, your crawl space, whatever. But 28 feet is two 10-foot 10, 10 floors with that extra eight feet either within those floors or your attic space. You can't get three full stories and 28 feet. And those are just industry standard numbers that are used. We're on height now, aren't we? Yes, because you've got a 30,000 square foot building with 50% of the lot and the buildings are going north-south. So you're going to have at least half of the lot open and your 30,000 is going to limit you on those bigger lots cannot have a humongous building. Right. 30,000 is going to allow a smaller uh, store such as England Marine, which is much larger than 30,000, but something like Astoria Co-op or whatever. So now we're talking how many floors should that go and what is the view. And if you look at some of the, if I can go to the pictures real quick. Ah, the other direction, sorry. There. Um, your Holiday Inn Express, that is four stories. And it's about 45 feet. Uh, look at the at the bottom picture. Motel Six is your two story, so that's approximately 25 feet tall. It'll probably be 28 because that's it a could big be story. 28. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, story of Warehousing. That first building is probably 25, 28 feet high. It's could even be higher. 30. Yeah, 30. No, could be as good. No. The biggest one is about 34. 30, 30, right, the, the, the okay. other one should be, there's 12 foot doorway there, plus, this probably 20, mm -hmm. 20, 22. And then you have the one story uh, Northwest Natural Grass Center Bottom. So that is probably a 15 foot high building, or slightly less. So when you're looking at the impacts, um, top right-hand corner, that's the Taggart building next to Sumi Hall. And again, that was probably about 20 feet tall versus the Holiday Inn Express at 45. If we um I like some of the details in your scenario. So under scenario three, 28 feet, but 35 feet with public access, how specific could we get about that public access requirement? I mean, could we require, say, uh, a viewing platform over the water or a dock? Or this what? is all in land. We're only so talking about in land right, right now. 
That's we right. already have in the overwater areas, if you're going to yeah, go overwater, right. we already have the view um, yeah. platforms that have to go out beyond the building. So what was intended by this was the 35 feet, you could get that extra height if you allow the public to cross your property into the waterfront through a pathway, a courtyard, or something because you've got long expanses such as Astoria Warehousing and some of the port properties, and this would just allow that, not just the visual, but allow people to walk a pathway. And that could be done on any size lot. Just because you have the view quarter on a 5,000 square foot lot with 50% of the lot covered, that's only allowing you to visually look through. If you physically want people to walk through there, then that's a physical pedestrian path or public access. And that's why we were saying we would, if you wanted public access, not just viewing, it would need to be a give and take. What are you giving them for taking their rights and allowing the public on their property? And that's where the suggestion was, that's where you get your 35 feet, by giving a public access. I guess I'm not seeing how that would be much of a give for the property owner because, or much of a gain, I guess, for the public because somebody could just walk down the street to get to the river walk. And right, all streets, all public areas are rights away that you can access. And the, Uniontown area, there are limited public rights of way. You have Basin, Bay, Columbia, and then nothing till Second Street. So there's only four streets that allow public access. Okay. And that's why that was thrown in because at the last meeting you said we wanted more public access, not just viewing. So that's why I added that in there. So your scenario three. But changing from the 0.5 car to Councillor Herman's half of half the lot 50% is somewhat slightly less restrictive or somewhat less restrictive because the second story would be the same right. size as the first. So you wouldn't have an FAR, you would just have a 50% lot cover, and no more than 30,000 square feet for the total building. And it would require public access, which we could in some ways. Right. So if you went with basically number one, a, kind of a combination, 28 foot high, you could go to 35 if you provide public access. Your buildings cannot exceed 30,000 30, square feet per building, and you would have no more than a 50% lot coverage. If you have more than one building on the lot, it would be required 60 foot view quarter between buildings. So that would give you, most buildings would be restricted to 28, and the only way you'd let them up to 35 is with some public amenity, with access. This is for clarification. I just wanted to, uh, uh, I don't know if it makes much difference, but when you say uh, lot coverage, uh, a lot and a, a building site. Are they the same thing? I mean, they often combine two lots for one building site. 
Right. We would be looking at the buildable lot. There are multiple ways to look at a lot. If someone came in and wanted to build a structure, they could have five tax lots, but that's only one buildable lot if they're going to build over it all. Uh, tax oh, lots right. are strictly a tax ID for the county for billing taxes. Platted lots, you cannot build across the platted lot without combining them. So we would be looking at buildable lot, which is a hybrid. It is what is the outside boundaries of your parcel to build on. Point of order. So, well, so, so just again, um, if I'm getting this picture right, it seems to me that the Fairfield Inn covered multiple tax lots, but it was one buildable lot. I mean, there were two different. Cor correct. They had multiple platted lots, multiple tax lots. Part of the condition of their development is prior to development, they do have to come in and combine those into one parcel, uh, one buildable lot. I'll say this is very common. Co-op had the same exact thing, where, right. where you're looking at, when we're talking about the amount of area, we're looking at within the kind of the common ownership, if you want to call it that, with what this would apply to right. would be a better way to yeah, just the outside boundary of where what they are developing right and that was a good clarification because it, it, you just said they could put two pile lots together to make one large lot that's a possibility correct and that's why we wanted to show just a procedural question for mr estes if if we are able to reach consensus on the various line items can we hold a first reading as amended, or do we no. need to direct staff to come back at the next meeting? You will need to direct okay. staff to come back again. That's all I need. Well, I'm just wondering, oops, I'm just wondering if there is any consensus at this point about scenario three with a change from the 0.5 to the half this lot coverage. My, so I would be in concurrence, and I think I heard others express the same. 28-foot building height max with an exception to 35 with public access, step back, 30,000 square foot max square footage. Um, was that for building or site? For building. For building. And a 50% lot coverage and eliminate the FAR altogether and 60 feet between buildings. Correct. That's what I had. So is there a consensus to ask staff to bring those code with those provisions back to our next, uh, well, I don't know if it'll be our next meeting because that meeting's already yeah. full. No, actually, we, we anticipated this okay. was going to be on your next meeting okay. already. So we anticipated there'd be some dialogue already, so. Okay. Well, if someone would I, like to make a motion for that, we could do that. I'm not sure how to go well, about the, wording that. Just to, just to clarify, um, are we talking 35, 30,000 square feet across the board with that scenario? With your, your initial thing had uh, started from 20,000. I had that question. Right, we now to basically a combination of scenario one and scenario three. Right. So we've got this fourth scenario now. Right. So it's 28 foot with 35 foot exception only with public access view court and view corridor. They would have step back requirements. The maximum building size would be 30,000 per building. You would not have an FAR. 
and they would be limited to 50% of the lot covered. If they have two buildings, they would have the 60-foot corridor between buildings. Well, looking at, you know, end results, what we're trying to accomplish, it seems to me that gets at what we're trying to do. Uh, I, I don't know if everyone agrees with that, but that, it seems to me that, that works. And, and procedurally, you know, just like you're kind, of, you're kind of thinking, if council does to come to some consensus on this hybrid, scenario four as, as Ms. Johnson called it. We're still at the same place next meeting as we are tonight where the council continue, can continue to be able to have more deliberation. I think you know, the, the goal tonight was to be able to, to be able to get to where there was some, uh, some head nodding in the same direction and, and I think we're getting there. Um, but uh, you know, we still have not had a first reading. And what we have is be able to bring this before you, before you to look at in advance you'd still be able to dialogue at the next meeting and then consider whether to have the first reading and then you still have to come back again at a, another meeting for a, a second reading, so. I was just looking at the faces of staff when you said more deliberation. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if there's, um, well, if someone would like to make a mo motion for the scenario four that was just outlined, we could entertain that at this time to direct staff to bring it back to us in the next meeting. Yes, yeah, so, so I mean, if, if and we'll be looking uh, at bringing this back to the City Council at your September 30th meeting for review of the code language with the provisions as outlined tonight, and it's uh, the Council's ability to continue to, to deliberate on that one scenario at the, at the next meeting, and you could... Send it back to the drawing board then. You can make more changes if you wanted to. Yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, and then consider whether holding a first reading at your September 30th. Okay. I don't look at that. So excuse me, I I I'm good with all of that. Um, what if we're going to push this forward and have the staff come back? I think tonight. We should also have some consensus on plant districts because I don't want to get, I wouldn't want to get, get avoided, get blocked in that uh, divisively uh, in another meeting where we kind of all this work tonight. So I would, that would be my request. All right, so let me try a motion. And then if that one doesn't work, someone can try a different motion. So I'll make a motion that we ask staff to come back at the next meeting with revised code amendments reflecting a 28, a scenario four, which is 28 foot heights with exceptions to 35 feet with public access, which you will define. Step back required above 15 feet, a uh, 30,000 square foot building size, a 50% lot coverage and 60 foot between buildings on the same site and approval of the language for both plan districts. So that would, be my, by, that would be my motion. As amended by As amended by Council Brownson's editorial change. I'll second that. All in favor? 
Aye. Aye. Opposed? We'll look forward to seeing you in a month. Okay. Thank you all very much. Okay, so what you're going to need to do is uh, have a motion to continue deliberations um, of this uh, of this item to the September 30th uh, City Council. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Very good. And I believe that is our last scheduled item. Uh, for those hardy enough to stay for more comments, we are now open it to new business. Any new business from the council? Now open it for public comment on any item not covered in the agenda already. Is there any public comment? Please come to the podium, state your name and address. Thank you. Three minutes. My name is Bradley Wilson Green. I live at 443 14th Street down here in the Central Business District. Uh, th this is, I'm um, here tonight, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Uh, I'm here tonight in regards to traffic and pedestrian safety on the Riverwalk. Uh, I had an incident last week where I was forced off the river Riverwalk while rollerblading on it by a Recology garbage truck. Uh, upon the, the garbage truck driver informed me that he had been doing this for 34 years and he had right of way everywhere on the, on the Riverwalk. And, when, when brought to his attention was told, you got a problem with that? You come over here and take it to my face. Um, I read ORS differently than he did, um, except when this instance was brought to the attention of the police, they sided with him and I was told pretty fundamentally made me feel like I was lucky to be alive and that I should just stay out of the way of the garbage trucks in the future. Um, I spent uh, many hours over the weekend reading ORS, updating myself on the relevant laws as well as Astoria City Code. I now know more about crosswalks, intersections, rollerblades, and vulnerable users of a public way than I ever wanted to in my lifetime. And we are not, I have since spoken to Chief Spaulding, other, other officers within the Astoria Police Department. They have assured me that they are looking at this, but I am concerned about safety at the intersections of 31st, 36th, and 39th streets in regards to just who has right of way. I have been told that, I have been reassured that all traffic on the Riverwalk has right of way over any motor vehicles and that the city will be looking into putting in new signage to help protect people. But I am here just to ask that we look into that, into protecting uh, the Riverwalk and pedestrians and vulnerable users of a public way from any motor vehicles, because there seems to be some ambiguity as to what the statutes actually read and who has right of way out there. I've heard city councilors uh, just say how wonderful it is, and the, and the Riverwalk really is wonderful. I mean, it's a, it's a it's an asset that this city has that I have spent all summer utilizing and I'm up to about 460 miles rollerblading on it just this summer. Um, I, I'm going to stay in touch with Councilor Herman and, and just try and figure out so we can get some signs up there and protect anybody in the future. That's all that I'm here to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Is, is that an issue staff already looked at? Okay, we'll do it later. Okay, so we'll find out something. Is there any other public comment? 
Cindy Price, P.O. Box 477, Astoria, and a member of the Planning Commission. And I want to thank you very much for all the kind things you said about the Planning Commission. We did work very hard, as have you. And my colleague, Daryl Moore, is going to not buy me the next drink when I tell you that you have just, uh, by, by going from a .75 car to a 50% lock coverage or buildable coverage, you've effectively um, approved a 1.5 FAR because whereas with a 0.75 FAR you could theoretically you could have a building that takes up 75% of the lot if it's one story but as you go up it takes up less and less so if you had a three-story building it would take up something like 28% of the lot but now you've approved a three-story building that can take up 50% of the lot. I'm just I just thank Daryl for the math. He's our math wizard on the Planning Commission and is the one who really introduced us to the FAR, which took us very far, really, in our deliberations. Are there any other public comments? With that, excuse me, I thank my colleagues in the audience for their endurance tonight. <laughs> <laughs>